Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Welcome, constant listeners. Great party, isn't it? We've got our tuxes on, our flutes of champagne, our cocaine-smeared noses. It's the third annual Kingies, our sporadic award show, honoring the best and worst of King's work in every decade. We did the 70s, the swinging 70s. We did the 80s, uh, the progressive 80s. And now, at long last, after actual years, we've returned for the 90s Kingies. It's been years. We've been in the 90s King world for so long. Uh, it, and, you know, I mean, it's so wild to think about some of the books we're covering here because it was years ago we recorded these things. So it's wild. Uh, but anyways, how are you feeling? Uh, Dan, are you happy to be here at the Kingies? Uh, yeah, this is Dan Dracula Caffrey. I'm always excited to get an invite. You know, I wish I had a plus one. My seat's kind of in the balcony, but I'm it's happy COVID. to be here. It's COVID, you know? Yeah, exactly. yeah we, have to be, we have to be social distance. I'm hoping that our hosts go through the audience and make some great jokes. Uh, <laughs> and I forget how to respond to them like a human being. So I'm really happy to be here today. Uh, Jen, say hello and tell me, are you? is this your first Kingies? This is my first Kingies, yeah. We're glad actually- to have you. Well, thank you. I was I was so excited to get an invitation. You know, I had yeah. to like spend all day trying to find my dress, and you know, it takes a long time to get your hair done, and you know. But yeah, I my first episodes I think were like around the beginning of the '90s too. I think it was um, Sleepwalkers yeah. and Gerald's Game was my first book episode. So I'm kind of excited to kind of it feels like a summation of my time on the pod too. Aw, you know? that's fun. Oh, yay. I love to hear that, Justin. The Jennies, uh, the Jennies <laughs> also. Oh. The Jennies. <laughs> Justin, welcome to the Kingies. This is not your first Kingies rodeo, is it? No, it's like, you know, when Billy Crystal hosted five times in a row and then he left for 20 years and came back. <laughs> That's how I feel right now. It's great to be back, to be co-hosting this. And, you know, they say it's it's wonderful to win. It's an honor to be nominated, but it's also a pleasure to, to host. So I'm happy yeah. to be back. If you start doing the third Kingies. <laughs> I'll be like Jack Palance yeah, right. with the... Um, like, with the the rope between my teeth pulling out the Oscar the the Kingy statue I should say doing push ups on the stage like jumping off the roof you know I remember when uh, Whoopi Goldberg hosted one of the years she hosted and whenever they she was coming out each time dressed as a different best costume uh, oh, yeah. nominee and so she, I remember she was dressed as Queen Elizabeth because it was the year Elizabeth came out and then whoever was presenting next was like thank you your whoopiness <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I. I probably would have made that joke, though. It's Your funny. whoopiness. You, you uh, kind of have to, you know? Yeah. You can just see it's Bruce Lanch right backstage just being like, ah, oh, we got her. Okay. <laughs> um, my name is Rockin' Rattle Colburn, and I'm so happy to be talking about the 90s. And, and I think we're all ready to move into Y2 King, as we're calling it. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a fun uh, future. But first, we've got you know, to say goodbye to the 90s in style. So we're going to be talking about the best and the worst uh, novels. Um, collections, well, not collections, but short stories, novellas, and um, and even some adaptations and TV work. Uh, I think that'll be a looser discussion. Not a lot of great stuff, but um, 
but it'll be a good time. So yeah, let's kick things off with us. We're gonna we're gonna talk about our favorites, and then also we're gonna talk about our listeners' favorites. Uh, some of our listeners sent in their best and their worst. We're calling it the People's Kingies, and and we, you know we're gonna <laughs> give you guys a little shout out, and uh, because some of our answers they differ a little bit. Before we get into the weeds of it all, I should say what books we're discussing. I'm gonna run through it all here. Dark Tower Three: The Wastelands. Needful Things, uh, Gerald's Game, Dolores Claiborne, Insomnia, Rose Matter, The Green Mile, Desperation, The Regulators, Wizard and Glass, Bag of Bones, and The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. That's all the novels we're going to be discussing. What a run. Uh, Can I give a special shout out to the uncut edition of The Stand? I know it doesn't yes. really count, but it came out in 1990. And- yeah, that was, uh, we had some listeners ask us if that's included, but I feel like you, we already did The Stand in the, in the 70s yeah. kingies. You drop The Stand in the 90s pool and it just, it, it's like it, a huge. I don't know. I've got, I've got the kid as best villain. So uh, <laughs> yeah. we have to, I was going to say, we only so, get no, one new I have character. to throw away my draft. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I just felt like the ripple would be too big. Uh, yeah, and it, it would overwhelm everything. Uh, but but uh, we do love the uncut version of the stand around here. Um, novellas, Langoliers, Secret Window, Secret Garden, Library Policeman, Sundog, all collected in Four Past Midnight. And I threw in uh, from Hearts in Atlantis. We have the title story Hearts in Atlantis and Low Men in Yellow Coats. The other three stories from there I'm including in the short stories category, um, along with Everything in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which is a very long book and a lot of stories so i'm not gonna read them all but uh, no go ahead 25 of them no <laughs> i one publication order the only one that matters is dedication so um <laughs> kidding. i'm sure that'll be coming up at some point uh and, oh, then, yes. <laughs> and then we're gonna be talking about the some of the film adaptations and everything too and uh i'm not gonna read all of those yet but we're gonna be talking more about that near the end of the episode because who boy there is quite a lot of them so um so let's kick it off with one of with a uh with a category that's a little bit lower on the totem pole we're gonna build up to best novel of the 90s but let's start with uh, the best protagonist who was the best main character of 90s king uh jen i'm gonna start with you what do you got um my best protagonist is um she's a working class woman she works real hard all day she cares about her family most of the people in her family it is dolores claiborne nice uh, talk to me a little bit about Dolores. Were you, you were on our episode. About I was that. on that. Um, I was on the movie episode. I was oh, not okay. on the book episode. Yeah, I absolutely love that book. That was well, it, it was in the running. I say that that stretch of like I kind of think of them as eclipse novels is my favorite. Some of my favorite stretches of King, um, because I love the way he kind of has a goes through a journey with writing these really um complicated and strong female protagonists and I had a lot I was really tempted to pick Jesse from Gerald's game um but I just love Dolores Claiborne I love that she protects herself and also protects her daughter and that she you know she just stands up to that asshole she's married to and just this the descriptions of her like putting the clothespins like I love the way King writes her too you know she's it's from her own voice and just kind of the day-to-day of her life and the fact that she does all of these really impressive things but then also keeps so much shit together from like from falling apart she's just 
she's pretty impressive. Yeah. So. Justin, who would you say was I, the best protagonist in 90s King? I thought it was going to be maybe like a little bit of a outlier, but I also, I also had Dolores Claiborne. Yeah. And I think it's because I can't think of any other, I think of some short stories, obviously, but I can't think of many novels by King, if any other ones, where he has enough faith in the character to just let the character tell the entire story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is one of those books. I don't, I often try to break up my readings and chapters and, and whatnot, but the fact that maybe it was a psychological thing, the fact that there are no chapters in Dolores Claiborne, it's <laughs> yeah. just one long running monologue. I read the whole thing in one sitting years ago. Wow. wow. And so, uh, yeah, this is the book that I still love from the nineties a lot. And I, I, I've always loved this character and the, the arc the character takes without having to have the, the support of a narrator mm-hmm. and how it's done is just really impressive to me. And I've always loved it. And I've always uh, loved the, the book. Yeah. So yeah, I, I also have Del- Dolores Claiborne there. Nice. From Dolores Claiborne, I should mention. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> From the book, Dolores Claiborne. <laughs> Dan, how about you? What do you, well, who do you have as your favorite protagonist? I was really close to choosing either Jesse from Gerald's Game or Dolores Claiborne from Dolores Claiborne. Um, But Gerald's Game just has a book for me toward the end. I hate all the explanation stuff. I know that's not Jesse's fault necessarily. I don't like that she doesn't take home that dog with her. Not cool. Jesse, she was the cops to kill it. Hate it. Poor Prince. Um, Dolores Claiborne, I knocked just a couple points for the folksy profanity. I love that book. I adore that book. And she was really close to getting it. But my, uh, my uh, strongest protagonist from the 90s goes to Trisha from The Girl Love Tom Gordon. Oh, yeah. choice. I, and and I, honestly, obviously you get more depth, I think, from Dolores Claiborne and Jesse and some other King protagonists too. But I love that it's a, a kid. I love that I was just a little bit older than her when the book came out, even though I didn't appreciate that novel as much when I was younger. I like that we get a a girl protagonist rather than like the kids from standby or from uh, the body, which are also great. But I feel like we see that kind of, you know, these sort of profane gross dude protagonists. I like that King is like, no, she's just this really resourceful girl who still has a lot of issues and feels like a kid. I think the divorce angle is really good. I, I like that we get into her head, but that she still very much feels like a kid to me, even though she does do some crafty, uh, things that none of us will be able to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably know, right. like baby MacGyver. It, even today, I feel like girl, the girl of Tom Gordon and Trisha in general, they just feel like a very unique kind of thing in the King Canon. So I wanted mm-hmm. to give her a shout out. So that's my choice. Good, good book. Yeah, I think it's interesting because this really was the decade of, of King's female protagonists. I think he was really challenging himself to write uh, more characters that weren't, you know, a lot like him. Uh, although he's still got a few in there. Mr. Johnny Marinville, get a, give a little shout out there. And, <laughs> uh, and obviously Mike Noonan. Mike Noonan's the <laughs> ultimate King uh, analog. But but yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely talk more about him later. But uh, I'm going to go with Jesse from Gerald's Game because I think out of the, I think all of the the women are, are I don't know, I, I, I was always really drawn to all the women, including Rose and Rose Matter, uh, who I think is, is, is a better character than some people give her credit for. But, uh, but Jesse for me, I think it's such a unique, story and we have to spend so much time in her head and it was a book that I didn't love at all when I was young because I just these all the things that that book is about are things I did not want to read about when I was 12 years old but now I find really really compelling and um and I was really Mike Flanagan's adaptation which I love that kind Mm -hmm. of uh, you know, I wasn't on the book episodes, but that kind of propelled me to go revisit that book. And man, it just really, really works for me. And I love Dolores, but I think she got on my nerves a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Jesse, yeah. 
so Jesse, though, I think uh, also got on my nerves a little bit, but I think in a, in a way that, um, I don't know, made me identify with her more because she is in this impossible situation. So, uh, yeah. And then obviously the degloving scene is one of the most painful uh, moments in King. And we'll probably be talking more about that a little bit later. But that to me is, uh, I think you go through that with a character at least for me yeah. and uh I'm with you you know and I can even get through that that uh that lame ass ending but um <laughs> so so th- thumbs up to Jesse I think uh I I'm a big fan and <clears throat> although there's one character we haven't mentioned who uh is a winner of one of the people's kingies that I yeah. think people will be surprised we didn't mention but we'll get to that later um mm. okay let's talk about clean best clean sweep with the ladies yeah Yay. clean sweep with the ladies which feels appropriate Aww. for the 90s I think it does um, that makes me really happy yeah uh, yeah you're right wow yeah best villain let's talk villains I would say that it, you know this the 90s was a banner decade for villains in King. There was a lot to choose from here. I found myself listing multiple names. I really really enjoy there's there's a cartoony quality to I think some of the villains in this in this but uh but they contain multitudes and I'm a huge fan. Uh but Dan, why don't you kick us off here? What was the villain who you know who scared you the most who who made you quiver in your little booties <laughs> uh little cowboy booties because my favorite <laughs> villain was ray the coos from wizard and oh Glass. she's Ooh, so yeah. evil yeah. this was this was such a hard category because I, I i love what you said about the villains just being cartoonish and over the top but in a really good way i and love I it love, yeah yeah I, I love that she adds this element of grotesquerie to what otherwise is a really good western right like mm. I, I, that that feels like it's 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 such a king twist for me like i love wizard and glass just as a straight cowboy story it's a gr- one of his best romances i think it's a great tragedy but i love that it has this nasty ass witch with like a what five-legged cat and like a mm-hmm. dead snake she wears and she's her sexuality is disgusting <laughs> like it's all all of it's just really nasty and i love that king goes there because i think we also need it because the other villains in the novel like jonas and you know um and uh, uh thorn and all that once again they're great western villains but i i, I need that i need that king nastiness a little yeah. bit Ray really delivers that for me and also i think too the way she the way she has a lot of knowledge, but twists it and uses it to manipulate Susan. And like, even in the beginning where Susan kind of gets aroused by Rhea, I don't think that's because she's actually attracted to Rhea. I right. think it's because Rhea is using her elderly knowledge about sexuality and romance to like really control Susan. And that's really creepy and disturbing to me, especially because Susan is, is a kid in a way in, in the book. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, yeah, Rhea really, she's unsettling. She's fun. She's nasty. She is my, my winner of this statuette. Um, it's a good pick. I and I love too with her that you kind of think that she's lost her marbles and then she kind of like, you know, turns it back and ends up being like, nope, I was uh you know, she ends up striking the death blow in a lot of she ways. She wins kind yeah, of. Yeah, she in, wins. In yeah. And it's um and I just always will remember the that whole sequence near the end of Wizard and Glass when she's being kind of carted around. Uh like oh, yeah. and you know, like like she's being dragged by horses, I believe, in like her little cart and she's kind of just like losing her shit like in the back of it. And it's such like a great image that's really foreboding. I don't know. I'm a huge fan of that. Jen, uh villain. Uh are you a Rhea fan or are you seeking elsewhere in King's Dominion? I saw it elsewhere. I was really tempted to go with someone in um, a pair of novels that we may be talking about later, but I picked Leland Gaunt as my best nice. villain. 
Um, I I love, love Needful Things. It's a book that I've revisited many times and listened to because Stephen King reads it. Um, and he's just, I love how he is cartoonish, but also terrifying, but also I could see myself falling for him. Mm-hmm. Not like in love with him, but like I could see myself buying something from him. And I think he's so devious, but he also represents so much of the way like society and capitalism works that it just is, is really insidious. But he's also like really funny when he's, I mean, it's not funny when he's demanding <laughs> that Mara like fillet me, but just yeah. like he's so big and broad, but also really like menacing. So, and like, he turns he into the and he me. turns into the little uh, Beetlejuice, um, the priest from Beetlejuice. <laughs> the priest from Beetlejuice at the end of the book. Right. Um, love, love Leland Gaunt. Justin, are you a Leland fan? He was my runner up. I, I do, I, you know, for any issues I have with Needful Things, really don't have a lot to do with Leland Gaunt. I think that's a terrific almost satirical character, just yeah. prototypical, uh, devilish, uh, literally, in some ways, <laughs> character. I was disappointed because you kept bringing up cowboy boots and westerns. I thought that somebody was going to say the regulators. There's <laughs> 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 like, like the best villains. Uh, but my villain is actually somebody who I, I believe could exist and probably has existed in some form on our actual uh, planet Earth, and that's Percy oh, from uh, the Green Mile. Uh-huh. I, was cl- I almost chose Percy. He's great. Because he starts off, you just think he's this asshole, stereotypical bully from that era, right? He starts off as a bully, and it also shows what can happen to bullies when they think that they've got the power, mm-hmm. or in some cases, when they do have power. And um, that character's always disturbed me since the yeah. first time I read it, and it was kind of made into another level by the movie itself. But even just on the page, uh, Percy, and his demise is also very disturbing. Mm-hmm. It's just a really creepy character in that book that is trying to be as hopeful as possible but keeps getting shook at every turn you know yeah yeah so yeah percy is my is is my is my go-to villain love it to the regulators these are (laughs) the moto cops uh moto cops these are these are all great choices and i've i i definitely concur with a lot of this um i wrote down i wrote down several names and i i think because i i I don't know i think i want to switch it up just a little bit i'm going to go with Desperation and regulators, not motocops, but I love Tack T A K. This yep, is a nasty, yeah, he's a nasty boy, and uh, I absolutely love the malevolence of this of this character. And it's sort of it's sort of even a more cartoonish version of uh, Pennywise in a lot of ways, you know, of of whatever it is. And uh, but we we spent a lot of time, I think, in the Desperation and Regulators episodes, kind of always coming back to the idea that um, for all those books, faults um, and sort of uh unwieldiness uh tack is a great central villain because um it's such a a deep omniscient uh and terrifying sort of evil uh that really warms into into the into people's heads and and i think uh, honestly the manifestation of Kali and tragian of the big the big evil cop is one of the scarier things i think in 90s king for me which we'll be talking about shortly yeah. and um so yeah, attack. But I gotta say, my runner-up was Blaine the Pain, uh, oh, yeah. which I I think is is a great, funny. Like it's it's great when King can find that humor in his villains, and I think uh, especially in a decade that had you know Norman Daniels from Rose Matter, who is you know a very a very punishing villain, and I think unreadable for a lot of people. Uh, I'll having, be discussing him shortly. <laughs> yeah, I mean having Blaine, who is such like um, I don't know a parody of I think a certain type of villain, but also just uh, an absolutely hilarious character who is also very scary, is uh, such an achievement and such a I don't know an original vision 
version that I love King for. And he's, you know, Blaine's kind of one of those characters that I, I think I just think about um, when I think of, of, you know, this era of King, I think about the Blaine sequence um, from, you know, uh, Wastelands and, and Wizard and Glass so much. But um, he is a pain, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, another pain is uh, Richard Bachman who is the subject of our next uh, category. We, you know, the thing about the Kingies is we keep the same categories for every decade, even if perhaps we shouldn't. Uh, so we have best Bachman book. Uh, it's a little different than uh, the eighties when um, we had a lot of Bachman books to choose from. Now we have one and it's the regulators. So the best Bachman book for me was the regulators. How about you guys? Me too. Same. Yeah. I, I just heard there was a voting scandal and that there is actually <laughs> no award this year. Officially. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, we actually said, hired on. I've got none on my, on my uh, envelope here. I, I hired I hired this company called Cyber Ninjas. They're going to look into this and um, yeah, see if we. They uh, folded in Arizona, but now they're working on the Kingies. Yeah, and they'll go defunct oh. in a little bit and they'll come back for the next one. I, I got to say, I actually, I actually like regulars better than Desperation. I don't think oh, either shit. of them are like. Wow. Top, I don't think either of them are top tier King, but I love. I, I just think regu- regulators to me has a little bit less of the goofiness, like the I fucking hate critics or whatever that line is. That is there, there's not God, I hate critics. On. Desperation has <laughs> probably got the better characters and they've got Kali and Dragon, but I, I just think the concept is more sound than the regulators. Yeah. Neither of them are like amazing, I don't think. But anyway, I just want to put that out there. I'm a little bit of a regulators defender. I agree that neither of them are amazing. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge like desperation head. Uh, yeah, yeah, and Jen, you were the you were the regulators defender. On I was the regulators yeah. defender, and I do like it. I think analyzing it knocked it down a little bit for me because I remember reading like if going into the episodes Dan I would have agreed with you and said I like regulators better than desperation because it is so much more action oriented Mm -hmm. and there's a lot more to kind of hang my my like teenage brain on when I read Mm -hmm. it as a child and I don't think I was quite ready for what desperation was doing but then reading it now I do like them but I I love both of them as a pair I think more than I like either of them on their own yeah and I I think too desperation does take the bigger swing which I appreciate like I think it's thematically Mm -hmm. deeper than the regulars but there's something really scary to me about the West invading the suburbs rather than just going into the West, if that makes sense. Sure, like the, yeah. like just yeah. that opening sequence of the minivans with the Cowboys and everything is really, really stuck with me as, as a little kid. Um, yeah. But I mean, look, that ne- neither of them are five nosers for me. That way. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. in when we talked about regulators, like I had a lot of cemetery for that. There's a lot of creepy shit in that book. Like one of yeah. the things I love is just, is how the world begins to manifest as a child's drawing. Um, mm-hmm. How like the the way the mountains are like you know just these like up you know triangles in the distance and and the the kind of leering cowboy moon is always an image that stuck with me from King and like that sequence where the guy like leans against the cactus and the the spines like coat through his body that's whole sequence to me is is one that i only read the regulators once and um, then i reread it this year um but the from the original read after you know decades later i still remembered a lot of really small things from regulators so i got to give it credit for that um yeah. the problem is it's, it's a 600 page book you know? i know it's long yeah man it's really long <laughs> yeah i like that i like the little kid uh pouring the honey down his caretaker's oh, throat yeah, that's, that's one of the most really punishing sequences yeah yeah and that stuck with me for, since the yeah. first time I read it as a teenager. Yeah, because doesn't he say the phrase "blood laced honey"? I remember like that as uh-huh. a little kid, just really disturbing me. Yeah, gross. It's like when you like eat an apple, but you've eaten Cheetos beforehand, so you get like oh, Cheeto <laughs> dust all over the apple. Ew, yeah, that happens. Exactly like that. It's exactly it's like the like opposite that. of having peppermint and then drinking a Coke. You know? <laughs> oh, like no, yeah. like no taste. Now it's all the taste. <laughs> 
Um, okay, cool. Well, we'll revisit uh, regulators a little bit more later, I think. Uh, tastiest slice of pound cake. Uh, this is we. I think we've we're, we'll probably find a, a unified sort of uh, thing here. But I just want to give a shout out before I give my real answer. Uh, in Needful Things, there is <laughs> the character Lester, who is kind of like the big beefy uh, gym teacher, and he is dating Sally. I, I believe her name's Sally. Uh, Jen, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But the the teacher Sally. the teacher who um, the little boy kind of lusts after. I can't remember exactly her name, but uh, yeah. but like she's like a you know very virginal. And uh, there's a scene where Lester, like we get in his head, like the brief time we're in there, and he's and he speaks like he's from the fifties, like he's like wowie zowie, I can't wait to grab her boob you know it's, oh god <laughs> it's like so funny i read it i tried to find my notes but i couldn't uh i think they were saved under a different email and i so i was I frustrated hope it's, wowie zowie. it's something like her. that like it's literally like he's bouncing like you know walking to her house and he's like and he's like he's like gee whiz i can't wait to rub her pussy you know it's like so. her little his little top spin. Yeah, yeah it's like that. it's so funny no, we, we've all we've all been there i know oh, it's man. just it killed me and i remember like that was a pound cake that i had from that book that um i was trying to find the passage but i couldn't but it's probably funnier just to imagine and being like gee whiz gee willikers <laughs> um so uh, uh justin how about you pound cake uh, in the 90s wh- well wh- I, I know the category is officially tastiest pound cake <laughs> Lord, do not let me be misunderstood. Because also, pound cake, in addition to you know all the sex talk, also comes into the you know the category of you know tooting and and tooting vi- diarrhea and whatnot. Yeah. So I um something that a few of us covered: the girl of Tom Gordon. I think oh. that whole sequence of her diarrhea is absolutely disgusting. Yeah, it's and nasty, I honestly. Man. I don't want to go into too much detail about it because it is so disgusting and graphic. But please listen to our episode on the girl of Tom Gordon. Uh, so that would be my, I'll call it memorable pound cake. <laughs> to quote Holly Gibney, it's it's very poopy. Very yes. poopy, yes. Poopy-doopy. Not to be confused with Popsy. <laughs> um, <laughs> poopsy. Jen, poopsy. <laughs> we are children. Uh, Jen, uh, pound cake, what, what stands out for you? Um, well, I want to give a shout out to all of the bonkers stuff that um, she says in the Green Mile mm-hmm. when she has the brain tumor and she's just talking about her mud hole and oh, right. bitch bots yeah. taking the breeze. And that was just cracked me up. Um, but my tastiest is actually from the Green Mile. And it is um, Paul Edgecombe starts thinking and crying about John Coffey while still inside his wife. He is classic. Has, yep, has just uh, and as I ca- I'm sorry, I'm going to read it because it's so bizarre. And as I came to my climax, that delicious <laughs> feeling of going out and letting go, I thought of John Coffey's endlessly <laughs> weeping eyes, and of Melinda Moore saying, "I dreamed you were wandering in the dark, and so was I." Still lying on top of my wife, with her arms around my neck and our thighs together, I began to weep myself. And he's thinking about having to kill John Coffey, and it's that's, sexy. That's <laughs> It's bad. I, no, that's like that speaks to. I always remember in Pet Cemetery, there's like a section where uh, this, like, there's like this beautiful lyrical section where Lewis is, you know, um, reflecting on mortality and life and death. And then right in the middle of it, it's like, and as I slid into my wife, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. God damn it. Um, it's like slow. <laughs> um, don't need it. Uh, Dan, yeah. Dan, tastiest pound cake for you. Yeah. So, it was tough for me because of the word tastiest that threw me off because yeah. when I think tastiest, yeah. I think, well, it has to be something that maybe is kind of significant and works really well from a romantic standpoint. Right. So I just went with the whole 
relationship in insomnia between the old two old fogies. Um, because oh, I mean, yeah. we get, you know, we get, and I should have, I don't have any like sentences. We get some like kind of blue descriptions of, uh, of their wrinkled skin and wrinkled sheets, uh, <laughs> as I would say in Billy Madison. <laughs> um, but also too, I actually, I actually really like that relationship. And I think that may uh, insomnia, insomnia is not my favorite novel, but I do think the core romance is very strong or not even romance at first, but like the bond they have. Um, so that was what I went with. So I, I went with, I, you know, let's say sweetest piece of pound cake. Cause that's what I, right. I went with. I, I, I feel like I should have gone back and found like oh, a sense fine. somewhere, you know? So that's, I don't know that's if we need to loose, revisit it. Yeah. It's yeah. like the best supporting actor award at the golden globes for TV where it's like, it could be from a mini series or it can be from a, a full <laughs> yeah. length t- TV series. <laughs> it's such a loose thing. Randall also, did you mention who the, um, the, the people's kingies had for villain and uh oh i will we'll, be, or... we'll be doing that at the end oh okay okay yeah, we'll okay. be revisiting all of this and uh so yeah for me i guess i went with um most rotten piece of pound cake was how <laughs> i interpreted it uh what can i say i love to eat garbage and um <laughs> uh, i had to bake basically go with the entire book bag of boners um which is <laughs> quite literally one of the horniest books I've ever read. Like if you listen to our episode, Mel and I are almost in hysterics over how relentlessly horny this book is. Like he (laughs) cannot control himself. Like there's drool all over the pages. Um, It is, it is a fascinating book that has some really amazing and creepy sections punctuated by just the, the most horny boomer, like middle-aged man uh, uh, sequences. Uh, the thing that I think really, there's a, there's a sequence that's, that's incredibly well-written where he's basically having this three layered sex dream in the middle of the book. And some of the best writing is in that sequence, but also some of the horniest. And there is a, a sequence where he it's like his his dead wife's ghost on a on a um a raft in the middle of the water and he starts like sucking seawater out of like the her bathing suit, like by her boobs. Yep. And it's it's just really bizarre and and but the th- the one that made me laugh the most was he's like getting a hand job in the dream from the the singer, Sarah. And he just like screams at one point. He's like, he's like, fuck me, baby, or something like that. I can't remember the exact sequence, but it's like, it's like an all caps and italicized. It's like, fuck me. And uh, I'm just like, I'm like, the man cannot control his horny level. And I, I should, does, I should yeah. say, I have not, re- Baggy Bones was the one book I did not reread from this decade. I've read it yeah. before, but not, yeah, right. I'm, I'm excited to go back to it. It's, I don't know. I don't know if you need to. I'd say just read the relevant sections. Uh, I can I can give you, um, Including you know, maybe, pound a, maybe a guidebook. Yeah, the pound cake sections are really some of the just most astounding writing in it. It's it's very, very funny. But that book, I think, also is just very uncomfortable. And now it's like, uh, it's very much a, a love story about, like, you know, a, f- a 50-year-old guy and, like, a, tw- a 19-year-old girl or something like that. It's, like, it's just really icky. Um, Dan, just do what I did with the, the new Stan series. Just listen to the podcast podcast because yeah, yeah. I, I, well, <laughs> I usually don't to listen pod. to the episode t- until i've read the book or reread the book but uh, i might have to reverse that for this one just so i can hear the, the yeah the our, our bag of bones episodes are pretty epic i i have to say i'm a big fan um okay let's talk about our scariest moment the stuff that freaked us out the most um i'm gonna kick things off I have a few here, but the one I I still have not brought myself to read ever. I've read Needful Things probably three times, three or four times. um, And I never have been able to read The Death of the Dog uh, Mm. because it's Mm -hmm. so 
it's so fucking mean and nasty. Mm. And like, uh, yeah, that sequence to me, I, so I can't really call it scary because I haven't read it. Um, I've always skimmed it, but in, so, but that's the one that I think is the most horrific to me. But the other sequence I think is, is from desperation, which is basically just the first 100 pages, which are incredible. Yes, and mm-hmm. yeah, like Kali and Tragian basically harassing, uh, these various people on the road, uh, uh, the Peter and Mary section, it is it is so scary because it carries so many layers because it's not just, you know, the fact that you have this malevolent uh, entity that is manifesting through this, like, you know, disintegrating co- uh, massive hulking cop. It also just taps into, like, fears of police in general. Like, to me, getting pulled over... Um, I haven't been pulled over in many, 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 many years. But when I was younger and I was a bit more of a reckless driver, I got pulled over more. And I was so scared of cops. Like just getting pulled over was always the scariest thing because pretty much every cop I ever dealt with were just gigantic fucking assholes, like unnecessarily so. So uh, and I always felt like I was being bullied by them. So it's always so that's like a genuine fear that I think was instilled in me very young. And uh, so that whole sequence just gives me the willies and and a a great sense of anxiety um, just to know that a cop is fucking with you because they have so much power um so it works on the human level and the supernatural level uh jen how about you what's the what's the 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 deepest and darkest cemetery you wandered into um well both of mine my honorable mention and my winner are both from gerald's game Mm. and um the like you i cannot reread this section anymore it's the degloving was my runner up because it's so i have a thing for skinlessness like it's a phobia of mine it's a bit like i need a trigger warning if that's going to be in a movie and so that i I can't read it i can't watch it every once in a while someone will post that gif on twitter and i have to just oh i know what you're talking about for a couple of days um yeah but the winner actually didn't you watch Martyrs for psychoanalysis? No, though? no, I watched Inside. I have not oh, watched okay, Martyrs okay, okay. yet. Well, yeah. I'm going like to say trigger, trigger <laughs> warning for Martyrs. <laughs> oh, I know, and I've spoiled that for myself, and that's okay. why I haven't watched it yet because I, I'm, I'm not ready. Um, but my winner actually was when um, it's night and she just realizes there's a man standing <sighs> in the corner. Yes. And I think it is so, so well good. written. Oh, did I steal yours, Justin? Yeah, I'll do <laughs> yeah. the quote when you're done. I got it. Okay, right. you got it. <laughs> yeah, just the way like that. I remember like thinking that when I was little, you know, and that's part of the reason I slept with my light on for a long time. Um, but it's just so well written and so haunting, so simple and so effective. And I think Mike Flanagan does a fantastic job. I agree. Yeah. Bringing yes. that to life. So, yeah. Go for it, Justin. Yeah, Justin, well, you go. I, I'll, I'll preface it. Yeah, it's the, it's the Moonlight Man also. And I'll preface yeah. it by saying, growing up, one of my favorite scary stories from the great scary stories to tell in the Dark Collection mm. was The Window. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's Same. about this person who's looking out their bedroom window, and it's from far away, far, far away, but they they see somebody just standing there in the distance, and the person gets kind of closer and closer and closer. That's always kind of haunted me. Mm-hmm. Not just in this, but in movies like It Follows. That yeah. really bothers me. You see people just kind of something's off. Mm-hmm. They're not doing anything, but something's off. And in this, I've got the, I found the excerpt here, but it's, uh, she's having a recollection in Gerald's game. And all of a sudden, her thoughts broke off with the clean snap of a knot exploding in a hot fire. Her eyes, which had been wandering aimlessly across the darkened room, locked on the far corner where the wind-driven shadows of the pines danced wildly in an nacreous light falling through the skylight, there was a man standing there. And it's just kind of one of those things where she keeps... I imagine mm-hmm. it's also like in Cape Fear, in the scene where Nick Nolte wakes up in the middle of the night, and he sees Max Cady, Robert De Niro, in the corner of the room, and he keeps wiping his eyes like he can't... Is he, is he really seeing this? Is he yeah. really seeing this? Mm-hmm. 
and he is still standing there, and finally he's gone. Um, that whole sequence in, in Gerald's game also just it, it just creeps me out just reading it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dan. Then, and it's just daylight we're recording. <laughs> I know. It makes me look at my corner. Yeah. <laughs> Dan, your, uh, your creepiest moments. I just pissed myself. I do love the Moonlight Man. So, this, all right, this is not a moment from definitely not my favorite novella or, or story or whatever you want to call it, but the library policeman, um, mm. not, the, not the first encounter, which is more infamous where the, the assault happens, but the second where he, come, he comes into the house, like where the yeah. policeman actually comes into the house, that always gets to me. I mean, it goes back to the regulators thing. It's once again this really otherworldly not realistic things suddenly showing up in a, an environment where they're just not supposed to be and what i love about how king writes that is that there's no like it's not really suspenseful he just walks in like the, he just describes the library policeman just walking into the house and being there all of a sudden and there's something about just that simplicity and the straightforwardness and and i do think just the way the library policeman is described just the way they look and everything um is it, just really unnerving to me i don't know why suburban stuff like that always gets to me uh so that was that was my moment once again i want to stress definitely not my favorite um <laughs> novella yeah. from the era i'm not a big four past midnight fan in general but um I almost feel like that's why it sticks out more because it's from a story I don't necessarily love, but like it's a sequence that I, I really do love. I also just watched Seinfeld front to back for the first time and I kept thinking about <laughs> Bookman. Bookman. <laughs> I know it's different. It's so funny. Bookman. I remember I read the, yeah, I actually read the novella before I watched um, that Seinfeld episode. And I remember like, I'm, I'm glad that that didn't happen because I feel like if I had read the novella, and I'd seen Bookman before it, I would have imagined Philip Baker Hall, which just isn't that scary. Listen, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. Uh, before we hop into best novella, best short story, and uh, best novel, and then um, and adaptations, let's talk about our worsts for a little bit. I don't want to mm. end with our worsts, so let's uh, let's talk about the shittiest, the worst protagonist of the '90s, and I'll kick us off because this was a lot of the discussion in our episode about Bag of Bones. But Mike Noonan is is just uh, a real a real character. I'll just say that this is a guy who is is so like sneering and elitist and shitty and also just horny beyond belief in ways that aren't endearing. Uh, it's, it's a, it makes the book a lot tougher to read. He is, he is easily the most unintentionally vile um, protagonist. I think that I've ever I, read in King. I read it 20 years ago. <laughs> I, I don't remember hating that book. Maybe again, I either. I was, yeah. I was I've lived same, a life. When I was you know, young, I've lived a life. So yeah. Maybe when I, I was now. young, I liked him fine but the older i've gotten i just there's there's a real there's a real uncouth quality to him uh that is just unpleasant to spend time with so yeah uh for me it's 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 mike noonan the man is is unpleasant um we we know if has has mike has mike snoonian read uh and and is he is he outraged that his name last name or his full his whole name is so close to to mike noonan i don't know i'm gonna have to ask him ask him because he could spell noonan from snoonian's name i love mike Noonan, but i yeah, just, yeah. yeah, tell him Mike Justin, you don't have oh, Mike okay. Noonan then. Who do you got? I don't. I, so this goes, I like to pivot by saying, you mentioned how much you love the first hundred pages of Desperation. Yeah. With Kali and the terrorizing that he does in that first hundred pages. I 100% agree with you. I think the first hundred pages or 97 pages, I think I clocked to that, of Desperation are so good before that kind of sure. detours as some of the cars do in that in that book. 
But for me, the worst protagonist, this might be a bit of a cheat because it's an ensemble. It's David Carver. Oh God. Yeah. From desperation. I, yeah. You know, this, this falls in line with my, we must, <laughs> we must seek out the child for advice. Yeah. Issues that King runs into in a lot of his novels, but I think none worse than here. I, I, I just, anytime they go to the wise David and just <laughs> get me out of here. Like I, I think all the, a lot of ideas, obviously, which you touched upon in, in the book episode and which we kind of touched upon in, in the adaptation that we did, that, that we made, like <laughs> we did the adaptation <laughs> that we covered, I should say. But, you know, the themes of obviously, you know, alcoholism with Johnny and and the religious aspects of it all with tack and everything are very fascinating, but I think it kind of goes off the rails and, and David is the best encapsulation of that. And t- it's in terms of the writing and the structure of that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, get David out of here. I wish they had sacrificed <laughs> David at the end. <laughs> we yeah. can spoil this, right? <laughs> they almost don't feel like real characters. They feel they more don't. like ideas represent like, yeah, that's the weakest part of desperation you know? is the ensembles just not on par with other King ensembles, uh, yeah. which is too bad. Cause mm-hmm. I love the book. Otherwise, uh, Jen, um, your least favorite protagonist. Um, well, um, this is maybe when everyone gets mad at me, I was pretty close to picking Roland from the wastelands cause he annoys the fuck out of me in that book. Um, but I went with Mort Rainey from secret window okay. because he also annoys the fuck out of me. Um, and I always love a good mental illness is the monster kind of story, you know, but I think this is just pretty clumsily done. I feel like he creates most of the problems in his life and makes it worse for everyone around him. And he did steal the story and Mm. spoiler, sorry. And then just the way that ends, it's like, yeah, I'm, he's not impressive. I kind of see him as Johnny Depp now too. So that, you know, doesn't (laughs) help his characterization. So it's so funny. I remember like when they cast Johnny Depp, I was so, puzzled because I I it was a real Giamatti situation when I was reading it and I was oh, like yeah. and I was like Johnny Depp um anyways I've not revisited that novella since I saw the movie because I hate <laughs> a real that novella situation. Uh, yeah but but uh hey, don't worry about it I I revisited it a year and a half ago <laughs> don't worry about it don't worry about that entire book what's your yeah. beef what's your beef with Roland uh, I don't know I look I am not a tower head so Take all of my opinions on the Dark Tower with a grain of salt. Um, it just, I don't know, stories or like, let's let's get to the action. I don't, I can't ever tell what's going on. I don't mind him in Wizard and Glass. Like, I like him in that book. But he also gets Susanna attacked by a sex monster. And I just, I don't know, he bugs me. It's true. So. Yeah. Uh, the sex monster is the house, right? I think so. By <laughs> yeah, the, the thinny. The, she's like distracting the them by the thinny, I think, right? That whole sequence was a weird, uh, I read, I read that before I was really, um, you know, aware sexually. And I think it, mm-hmm. it kind of fucked me up. Um, yeah. I'm just, kidding. Oh Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm, oh. Kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It laid monster, down right? the path for you. Uh, uh, Dan, talk to us about worst protagonist. I, I almost picked, uh, um, the secret window secret garden too, just cause it's, uh, it's, it's just such a non-story for me. Um, and I, so I did go with desperation, but it's fine that you pick David, uh, because Justin, I had the same thing. Like, well, who's the protagonist? It's kind of an ensemble yeah. cast. I went with Mary Jackson, and I don't think there's anything especially egregious about her. It's not like I hate her on the page. She's just kind of there for me. Mm-hmm. She's just mm-hmm. sort of boring. Um, and I think in a decade where we have such strong king protagonists, um, like the ones we've talked about already, and then probably some we haven't talked about, she, yeah, she. I just can't remember anything about her. She doesn't stand out to me. So mm-hmm. that's why I went with her. Um, 
and I see what Jen's saying about Roland and because uh, Wastelands I actually liked less uh, upon my reread of it. I still dug it. Um, but I, there is something about Roland's seriousness that gets really annoying after a while. He's just always like in Clint Eastwood mode and he's telling so many stories all the time. I think Wizard mm-hmm. and Glass, it bothers me less is because we're inside one of those stories and mm-hmm. we're also getting the perspective of several other characters. Um, yeah, but I, I, I find him a little bit uh, hard to deal to in, in the Wastelands. <laughs> Although I, I like the book. I don't, it's definitely not my favorite uh, Tower sequel though. All right. I apologize to all Tower heads. <laughs> uh, worst villain. Um, Justin, oh. worst villain. I have Norman. Norman Rosematter. Yeah, uh, this man. is another case where when that book starts off, you've got this realistic, I feel it's pretty realistic in terms of how, how he is violent. And they just, King just keeps piling it on to the, the point where it's so over the top, it becomes detached from any type of reality that you can imagine. Yeah. It reminds me in some ways of the villain from Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale. There's one point where he, uh, who cares? He shoots a kid <laughs> okay. an hour into this movie, and I laughed because it was so cartoonish. Mm. And that kind of be King defangs Norman by making him so over the top. Yeah, and then you add the whole—is it the ram mask? I think it is. Yeah, the yeah. mask Bull. on top of that, and the talking to Bull, the Bull. What is it? The accent he uses? That French word, the Bull. And it's—I just hate the every time I would see the the italics show up. Yeah, in Rosematter, I knew that we were in going for down trouble. Path. I knew that it was going to be a Norman chapter. When and you I, said the funny thing is, I, overall, I still actually do like that book. Yeah, despite because I think everything else going on is interesting, but God, the Norman chapters are just takes me right out. I'd like to clarify that I laughed when you said he shoots a kid because I thought of <laughs> Carl Winslow and Die Hard going, "I shot a kid." <laughs> Become Carl Winslow. <laughs> I know that was. Funny. <laughs> It is funny though seeing because I saw Family Matters, all Family Matters mostly before I saw Die Hard, and he, because he's a cop, and you can't not see this Carl Winslow. Totally. It's so funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Yeah, he's always Carl Winslow. Um, every episode yeah. of Family Matters, he just would randomly say, "I shot a kid." I sh- <laughs> I shot a kid. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Dan, worst villain. Yeah. All right. I, I cheated a little bit, but uh, I chose uh, the dwarf incarnation of Leland Gaunt. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Excuse this me. Is, if, if you know, we think if if Roland will alien, if if Jen trashing Roland will alienate people, you trashing uh, Beetlejuice priest uh, to our <laughs> listeners is going to be. See, I always I, I didn't picture him as Beetlejuice priest. I pictured him more <laughs> like in the BBC miniseries of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the witch's little dwarf that has the sleigh the whole time. And so it, for me, that's I probably love more accurate. Part. I, I love Leland Gunn. He's great. He's he's an excellent villain. But that, that transformation really just does because it, it's one of the last things we see too. It really does undercut. Uh, there's the cops coming to get me for trashing Leland Gunn. Um, I, the uh, yeah the that uh, his 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 full form. And I know I know it's hotly debated on this podcast. Is it him or is it his servant? Is it his servant? <laughs> well, hey, if it's his servant, then that's my least favorite villain too. But just I, least favorite psychic. I think it. I think it just uh, really undercuts everything that Leland Gaunt's about. Like I don't, and it does that thing King does sometimes where he just overexplains it just a little bit too much. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a half joke answer too, obviously, because I knew Norman would probably get picked. I like that answer. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with little dwarf Gaunt. 
I can't uh, dispute that. I mean, the last 15 pages of Medieval Things are so frustrating to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, they really are. You don't need them. You don't need them. You know, I think of a, when I think of the little guy, I think of Janusz from uh, Ghostbusters 2 <laughs> when he's on the carriage and he goes in. That's what I think of. He's the like the things. nanny. Yes. It's like, what is this? Oh, oh, I, I love, love it. Love, love Ghostbusters 2. Anyway, Johnny, um, too. Jen, your answer. Um, well, I also picked Norman. Um, oh. I hate that character um i love that book and you know i won't go into why because mm-hmm. we did a whole episode on it but i have a lot of really strong connections to that book i love it for a lot of reasons and i want to be able to like tell people to read this book and i want to be able to like i want to like not have my connection ruined by him just like descending into this racist like assaulting piece of shit that doesn't mean anything to the story and um, it, it just, it's unnecessary. And I agree with you, Justin, like I, it's so cartoonish and I don't need him to have redeeming qualities. Like I'm okay with him being a pure villain, yeah, sure. but the level of villainy he goes to is so unbelievable that it takes me away from things that are really meaningful to me. And that I'm like, I'm really engrossed in this book and I'm really like having a lot of like strong feelings and revelations. And then all of a sudden it's some weird shit that we don't need so yeah yeah normal. i agree i'm gonna go with uh the motocops from regulators which is more <laughs> so for their uh their lost potential because i love mm-hmm. the idea of like power ranger type characters that are just you know mutilating people uh it's such a nasty mean idea to take this like i don't know this thing that riffs on uh, popular children's entertainment and then turn it so malevolent. Um, but I feel like they have this, he has this whole mythology of the motocops that is kind of buried within the regulators, but never re- like they're all really interesting, weird characters, but we never spend any time with any of them. They're just all like faceless killers, which is perhaps the point um, mm-hmm. uh, in the story, but that's just unsatisfying for me because I remember when I read the book, when I was a kid, I was like, Oh, I can't wait to like get in and like see how these characters have like been perverted from their uh tv counterparts and and i don't know i wanted them to be treated like king usually treats his villains rather than just uh faceless sort of things that um you know existed in the background to just fire guns and so it's more of just a lack of potential for me because i think they're cool but then i think they kind of amount to a big nothing and uh that bums me out but i also a runner-up is definitely norman i think like i think the more primal part of me enjoys the like the aggressiveness of it all like when he puts the ram's head on like the metaphor is so blunt and it's so overwrought but i kind of Mm -hmm. like that like i'm you know i'm not somebody who i'm not somebody who demands subtlety all the time i Mm -hmm. i like a big swing and a big um you know a big meaty kind of um turn like that but yeah it's like the character is exhausting it's it's not yeah it's it's a villainy that becomes really um, uncomfortable after a while because it's it's just wearing you down and perhaps that was mm-hmm. intentional but it's it, it makes the read a lot tougher in ways that aren't satisfying mm-hmm. so um, you know, on, t- on top of that Randall the the constant unraveling yeah of the character throughout is another problem I have with a lot of King's villains um, whether it's Pennywise or George Stark like where we spend so much time in the villains heads mm-hmm. and we know that they're falling apart even if the protagonist doesn't know, it doesn't matter. We know they're falling apart and they're probably going to lose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you're, you're diluting the threat. Sure. Sure. You know? 
and I think Tack actually does that well. That's one of the few times because I agree with you that 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 does happen. Like I think of just him like throwing out "I'm gonna kill you" while they're yeah. in the back of the police mm, car. Yeah. Like that that I think unravels very well. But yeah, lots of times I do think it becomes like I think of um, George Stark just like yeah. literally falling apart. You know, it's like we don't, I don't know if we need that much. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's talk about the worst Bachman book. <laughs> hmm. Let me get my, hold on. Let me get the bibliography out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think we all agree. It's the regulators. We've, we've has to talked be. about that. It has to be. Right. Uh, can't talk about blaze yet. We'll get there. Um, I love blaze. I, you know, love, I still haven't read blaze. I haven't either. It's well, I, a few. I I, am I the only one on the podcast who's read blaze? I think I might be. Have you read Jen? I've read it. Yeah. Yeah. I do like it. I oh. liked it a lot better on second read than I did. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a supremely underrated King book, but Hey, uh, we're not in that. We're not. That's, Y2 King, I think, right? Or is it later? It might be even be later than Y2 No, King. later was in uh, a couple years ago. Nah, <laughs> very good. Hey. No, it was this year, wasn't it? Or 2021 later. It was, was. last year. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it feels like six years ago. Just whenever I hear Blaze now, I just think of um, Burning Love, the, yep. the comedy Blaze being series. Blaze being Blaze. Blaze being Blaze. What is that actor? Um, he's from Veronica Party Mars down. Party Down. Friday 13th remake. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, I can't remember his name, but he's so funny in Burning Love. Um, okay, cool. Let's talk about Worst Novella. Um, Worst Novella is is kind of a tough one because I pretty much hate <laughs> I pretty much hate all of the stories in Four Past Midnight. Like I just yes. really dislike that book. And I mean, I don't hate like Library Policeman or Sundog really. It's just they're just unremarkable ultimately. Um I think a lot of those stories were written when he was getting sober and and uh, I think it was and he's talked about how hard it was to sort of tap into writing the way he used to. And I think that there's sort of a belabored quality. There's like um, an exhausted quality to a lot of those stories that I think um, is rough. But but I think I'd probably got to say Secret Window because it's just I'm, I remember even as a kid and I liked everything when I was a kid. And I remember even just thinking that that book was was bad. And the ending is like so goofy. Like, isn't it like some lawyer? comes in and like shoots him or something like it's such mm-hmm. like a unremarkable it's, yeah. it's like and then the guy's like i thought he was weird when he came to my office so um well even as the ending where the the, the cops drive away and in the in the rearview mirror they yeah. see the like wait a minute was this actually supernatural after all i just yeah. did not like that ending at all yeah yeah so uh dan how about you worst novella yeah mine's also i mean i i think we're all gonna have uh four past midnight ones right because what were you gonna do choose ones from hearts atlantis yeah right. no way um <laughs> no like funny no has, a, has one of the four i chose langoliers now i i the i could see the argument that um the other novellas are maybe all worse than langoliers but i think because i feel like that book is or that novella is so highly regarded for some reason like i, I feel like i talk to people who love the langoliers i just don't get it i don't My, like the characters suck I think the even the the villains are too nebulous and vague, like right. the Langoliers themselves. I I hate the adaptation. There's just nothing I like about that book, and for how long it is, and how it kicks things off in Four Past Midnight, for how much people love it, it makes I, I'd be I'd legit be curious to hear why people enjoy it because I it just seems like such a nothing novella to me, and it's just. Yeah, it's one of King's worst. I hate it. So yeah, I think Langoliers rides a lot on the no- the novel quality of its of its premise. Like it is mm-hmm. something that I had never seen before. I mean, I'm sure like I think eating I, through time space fabric yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and so. obviously, I think King is pulling from a lot of you know the the early sci fi that he grew up reading. But for me personally, that was the first time I'd ever encountered. Uh, concepts like that and I think that's probably true for a lot of people and I think it's just a neat idea and that like Mm -hmm. but that's the thing is that does a lot of heavy lifting because you're right the characters are just so 
bland and uninteresting and and it and it kind of just creaks along um it's yeah. it's a rough story but uh Jen how about you um well I also chose the four past midnight one and I picked the library policeman it was some pretty t- steep competition for the worst <laughs> in that book but True. yeah I I just I feel like King there's a lot that he's writing about in this story there are some good sections that I like, like the concept of a library policeman, I think is really scary and really effective. The beginning, I think it starts out with a lot of promise. Then he goes into what I find a really exploitative scene of sexual assault of a child. Um, he talks about AA and recovery in a way that I think just, I, I don't, I don't know if he was in it enough to be able to see it with the same perspective that he talks about it in Dr. Sleep. Like there are a lot of concepts in here that I really want to work and I just don't think he handles any of them well in this one. And so it's again, like another one that I wanted to recommend. I almost recommended this to my friend who loves books and she had to read some horror thing for a checkoff list or something. And I was like, she's, there are going to be several scenes in here that are really going to upset her for no reason, yeah. you know? So mm. yeah, it's just like, like the kind of the regulators, it's like the failed promise that I think the story could have been. Yeah. Justin. Sundog, Justin Sundog. I was going to say <laughs> Sundog, uh, you get to live another year because you will not be <laughs> ah, nice. listed here. It's the Langoliers for me. It's, uh, it goes right back to my desperation issue. If we must look to the child, Dinah, whatever her name is, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, this, yeah, we mustn't that. kill him. We mustn't, boring. I think, Looking throughout the course of King's career, with the exception of, and it's a major exception because I love 11, 63, and I also really, really like Under the Dome. But there were decades there where I feel like he was trying to do his best Rod Serling, mm-hmm. whether it was the sci-fi of the Tommyknockers, which I'm on record as not liking very much, <laughs> uh, Regulators, and even this. It's like some interesting ideas, which we've, I feel like we've said a lot already in this podcast, that he just doesn't execute very well, at least during this time. And also the fact that I had to really analyze and, and write down a lot of notes because I was on that <laughs> Langoliers episode. I think it was like my last book episode for years. Uh, it didn't help its cause when you start to really break down the, the structure and storytelling of that novella. So yeah, Sundog, I don't know if, look, I wouldn't recommend any of these stories to be honest with you, but probably my least, least favorite. Yeah, my no. Yeah, my least least favorite. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we were mostly, I think, relatively positive on Sundog. It's just that it kind of it kind of fizzles out and and it it, it meanders a lot like in and it's telling. But there's, again, cool ideas and a couple of really great sequences. Like I remember some of the cemetery and it was great, which I remember we read on the episode. But yeah, so uh, rough stuff. A good short story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of short stories, what was the worst short story? Uh, And the thing is, I I will admit I haven't read Nightmares and Dreamscapes in a long time. I hated the book when I was younger, and I I, I think the sort of lack of enthusiasm throughout the pod kept me away from revisiting it. So I can't really speak with authority about um about Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which is why the worst I chose was Blind Willie from Hearts in Atlantis, which to wow. me is the is the real weak point of that book. I think that story mm. is is it feels like uh, and Grady Hendrix articulated this in his Stephen. King reread and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly which is that it just feels like a grad school short story like it feels like it's 
it's trying to build around a metaphor rather than a story and that and that's so weird for king because king never does that like king um allows themes to usually emerge organically from the story and blind willie to me is one where the metaphor kind of takes precedence over the story and it doesn't serve it so um and i i think i'm i'm bringing that up too because it's fresh in my mind we just discussed it but yeah blind willie for me dan how about you all right, so I was on both Nightmares and Dreamscapes episodes. Now, here's the thing. I actually don't I, – I think it was universally decided the story is awful for reasons that everyone probably already knows. I don't think I ranked it as my bottom-bottom choice, if memory serves correctly. I'd have to go back and listen to the episode. I, I think I had a couple um, – I, I think I had this ahead of maybe a couple of them. But look, it's dedication because when we're going back and reading the list <laughs> – that's the first thing that jumped out to me. I was going through the other lists. I'm like, man, which did I like any of these, you know, or dislike any of these more than dedication? I will say this. It's not a boring story. <laughs> it's another big swing. Um, but does it that won awards, good? right? It, oh, it did. I mean, and we talked about this on the episode. There's an, there's a dollar baby that I think was, I, I want to say was dire- directed and adapted by a black woman. I could be wrong. So mm-hmm. like, I, I, it could be I, extra, like a reclamation project. Yeah, too, you know? exactly. Like, I don't think the story is irredeemable. I think it actually has the potential to go in some really interesting issues about race and privilege. Um, I mean, the story is definitely about that, right? But it also is so exploitative just in the way that the characters of color talk. I think there's voodoo in it. It just seems like a really misinformed, misguided experiment. And once again, I don't think it's the story I enjoyed reading the least of Nightmares and Dreamscapes. There's ones I had below it. But it, it, it was almost like an like a, a marquee as soon as I said worst story was there. So I think I have to go with that instinct. And I think it does say something that no other stories are popping out immediately. So um, I, like I said, I might be contradicting myself if you go back and listen to the Nightmares and Dreamscapes episode. But I, yeah, I had to go with that one. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm sure other people did too. But yeah, that was mine. Justin, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of uh, that particular short story either. But for me, and this is somebody who loves the game of baseball. Love it. <laughs> I've read books on it. Hell, I was on the girl who left Tom Gordon because I love baseball so much. Go to games, read about it. Um, I thought Head Down was so strange. It really is just, I I was imagining just him sitting there on the bleachers and just writing down literally every action that was happening. Yeah. But there was no action really happening. Um, It's just an, I hate, I hate this adjective. It was, it was a nothing burger. <laughs> it was a nothing burger. You know, he's written more compelling things. Like, like I like blockade Billy and stuff like that. Like, but this was literally just him being so ingrained in his son. I think his son at the time, his son at the time, oh. like they're no longer children. <laughs> um, and I was just, is this going to go anywhere? It's like, no, it's just literally him describing what's happening in these little league baseball games. There's like no, little side notes here and there, no, no analogies to be made. It's just talking about a little league baseball series. And yeah. I, I just couldn't believe how, how Stephen King wrote a baseball story. And I thought it was that bad. And that's where I stand on it. Did not like it at all. <laughs> no, it. Nothing. Hate burger it. is the, is the worst word that is really useful. Yeah, there you go. It's like I the said- least, least favorite, which is Sundog. It's like, it's <laughs> the- uh, Jen, a worst short story. 
Um, well, I, I probably like, um, nightmares and dreamscapes a little more than the general consensus of the pod. Um, I also, I'm just a sucker for his short stories. Um, so it takes a lot to really piss me off. And that said, dedication really pissed me (laughs) off. And that is my least favorite story. Um, my worst short story, I think for everything Dan talked about, um, but I also find just the general concept of, of a child's talent being because of the sperm of an unrelated person that has nothing to do with his um, upbringing to just really kind of dismiss all of the qualities of a mother and the factors of like a mother bringing into a child's life. I'm stumbling over words because it pisses me off, but just like the, the underlying foundation of that story bugs me. Mm. Um, also it is disgusting to think about eating <laughs> gross. Um, the dollar isn't it, baby. Isn't that I like do, dried cum? It's to, dried oh, spots on his sheets. Yeah. yeah. Like his dirty old sheets that he slept on all night too. Also, Look, like, I'm not I don't know what shame. you guys do at night, but like, <laughs> don't you have like a sock or something? Uh, like, don't <laughs> yuck somebody's yum. Jen. Yes. That's true. Jen, you're you're well, totally right. Emphasis on the yum. <laughs> <laughs> now I will say, um, the dollar baby I did watch and I did enjoy and I actually got a pull quote on their tr- their poster because oh, I cool. said I, I, I like awesome. it better than the short story but don't tell Stephen King and that was my actual quote from it um but yeah it is it is pretty good I think it's it's hard there is a reclamation of that story but it is hard to get away from the the foundation of it which is um just you know, I think kind of dismissive of, of women's roles in child's life. I think King did such a great job, obviously in the nineties of writing lead women protagonists, but I think there are just some stories that certain people maybe shouldn't tell. Yeah. Yes. And this I think is one of them. them. (laughs) I think that's been something that's sort of, I don't know. It follows King throughout his career because he's so prolific and he's so curious and he's so uh, empathetic that I think a lot of times he tries to weigh in on things he probably shouldn't. Um, yeah. That which, still goes on to this very day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, yeah. It, yeah. it is funny how even now, I think we talked about this on the episode. It's funny how even now in 20, 2022 now, um, even just describing the dedication plot summary in my head, it's kind of amazing how gross it still feels. Like it still feels right. really transgressive to me. And I'm not someone whose feathers are easily ruffled, but it's just uh, yeah. disgusting. Oh man. Like, ugh. well, Dan, are you on the plant episode? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, oh, well wow. I haven't started we'll the plant yet. Well, I haven't that started the plant Jen, yet either. Uh, we will, I, I texted around the other day. I said, have you started part four of the plant yet? <laughs> oh, because Lord. get ready. You are you not going to oh believe. You said, oh, my God, have you started? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm we, so I think, excited to talk about Oh, my I think of, uh, anyway. I think of a curb where Marty Funkhauser tells Jerry that disgusting joke. And like, and it's Seinfeld's actual Great reaction. He, he, he just goes, oh, my God. Like, he just can't believe it. It's like the sewer scene in it. As much as I love it, it like amazes me that some of these things get past editors. Yeah, you know? I love it. It's, like, it's and the, nobody is like, is there another way you could do this? Well, the funny it's thing the about Rick the Rick McCallum plan. George Lucas thing, where it's, there's no there's no no men. It's all yes men. Yeah, that's what happened to Tyra Banks on America's Next Top Model too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and the thing about downhill. the the thing about the plant is that there's. I'm I'm 90% sure he had no editor like he was just because he was releasing it online he went out through yeah. a publisher and is so it is like unfiltered king I cannot wait to talk about it um okay yes. cool. oh, oh man I'm excited yeah. to get to it to it's not necessarily it. <laughs> well we'll talk about it yeah it's not awful I, by any means I actually opinion, like quite like just, it there's it's some just... really wild like yeah I was like laughing at it's like you think 
some of like the John Coffee dialogue might be offensive. <laughs> Oh, Lord. You think you think Jerome the, the way they handled Jerome in the Finders Keepers <laughs> no. series is, is get ready oh. for Ridley and buckle plant. up. Oh my god, it's <laughs> unreal. Anyway, sorry, that's a whole okay, other cool. episode. Let's talk about <laughs> yeah, we'll talk more. Uh, worst novel. This is uh, probably not too tough. Uh, uh, Jen, kick us off here. Um, well, get ready to be mad at me, everyone. Oh um, shit. I um I want to say this is a novel that I do not like. It is not a novel that I think is bad. I had a hard time with this because I was trying to think, like I thought of which one I would least like to read again. You know, that was kind of my criteria. Yeah. And I picked The Wastelands. Um, wow. Again, I know. I, I'm sorry. I, again, it's just, it's just The Dark Tower is not really for me. I think it is great. I think it is well-written. I think it is technically a good novel. So I have a hard time saying worst, but I was looking at the list and I was like, of all of the books that I would want to read again, that is at the bottom of the list. So The Wastelands. I apologize to everyone. Oh, no. I'm oh, don't paid. apologize. Jen, you're not Own shooting it. with your heart. You know, there's, you know, there's <laughs> I like- I have. I forgot in the face like, of- you Jen know, forgot the like face of better if it was remembering the face of your mother. Um, I will say I was a, that for me is one of the two five baggers five nosers. Wasteland really? Wow, really? I, I think that's his best action book, and um, but again, I look, we all like things that other people don't like, and, and vice versa. And yeah. I, I totally hear where you're coming from. I know you're not a big tower head, so obviously that book wouldn't necessarily be way, <laughs> right. way up there for you. But uh, yeah, anyway, that's 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 my Justin, two cents for the pod. Ripost, what's yours? Uh, look, I think I already expounded everything I wanted to say about desperation when I was talking about David Carver. <laughs> but it, for me, it's, it's, if, if we can't go with the regulators, which is truly his, the worst thing that he specifically wrote, I believe, I, I think it's desperation. Yeah. I, I think that book peters out at a hundred pages and there's still what 400 plus pages after that. And that for me, in terms of rereads, especially that was a real slog to get through over the last year. That's wild because, um, uh, it's it was it was in the running to be my favorite. You see, this is yeah. great. Isn't this a great podcast? <laughs> this is what I'm talking about, though. It's a great podcast. People get so mad. They're like, either if if we all hate something, people get mad, or if we all love something, people get mad. Like, look, we we can all love and hate different things for different reasons, folks. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. Come on. Um, but yeah, that's cool. Yeah. All right, Dan. How about you? I'm also desperation, and I would have it as desperation even if we could include the regulators, um, <laughs> because. I know what it is. I, I completely agree with what y'all are saying about the first hundred pages being so good, which almost makes the rest of it so hard to handle. I remember when I was uh, rereading it last year for the episode or, or to, to listen to the episode. When I got to that point, once they're all detained at the police station, I was like, this is great. And I'm like, where's it going to yeah. go from here? Like, I remember being like, oh my God, <laughs> what's going to happen? And then, you know, I should say this. I actually like it until they go into the, um, the mine shaft and then the, you know, they mm. he transfers tack or whatever from there. Yeah. Cause that's such a bold, good move to happen. Like what that's probably like halfway through the book. Right. And then just mm-hmm. once they're in that theater or wherever, I, I can't remember where the climax is. Yeah. Just, and, and some of his, some of King's worst, just one liner dialogue at the, toward the yeah. end, which y'all yeah. went into on the podcast for me. Once again, I don't, I don't think it's his worst book. I mean, I, I don't hate it. I don't like feel the way I do about, the desperation as I do about like road work or rage or something like that. But, um, yeah. or even some of his, some of his uh, books we haven't gotten to yet, but, uh, yeah, I just, I, it's a promise that's just not kept by the end of the novel. And that makes it 
a harder read for me. So desperation all the way. Uh, but Randall, your, your, your favorite choice, I'm guessing uh, <laughs> as you said, uh, it's up there, but I'll, I'll say my least favorite, my worst is bag of boners. Uh, this book is, <laughs> is a this rough is like read. your silence of the lambs. Like the sweet <laughs> for Randall Colburn is bag of bones. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's a really, really unpleasant book. And I just remember, I felt like it was never going to end when I was reading it. It's like, those are the worst it's, and yeah. it's, it's only like 550 pages or so, which for, king is relatively short but i just remember there's parts of it that really sing and are really really good but it, overall it's such a confused novel and the characters are mostly very very unpleasant and like you know i don't need likable characters like i want to make it clear that it's not about a character being likable it's just that these characters are unpleasant the storylines are icky um, and the tension is not quite there. There's no real good, there's a great villain that is very underutilized. It's like mm-hmm. a very frustrating book, um, that never quite comes together for me. And it kind of just ends. Like we talk about it in the episode, like the ending is mm-hmm. just kind of a shrug. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a messy, messy, messy book. Um, and definitely my least favorite reading experience this entire time. I mean, even regulators, um, and four past midnight. Well, if I could, if I could have said four past midnight, I would have said four past midnight, but uh bag of bones for too. me. Yeah. yeah I would have. Yeah. Four past midnight is pretty awful. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. But Bag of Bones to me, I just remember feeling I was so mad that I had to keep reading it because it, I wanted to read so many other things. And I just felt like every time I sat down to work on Bag of Bones, it was like, I don't know, it was like lugging uh, buckets of water to the well or something. It was just it was not pleasant. <laughs> so, just, OK, I just oh. typed in Bag of Bones, Stephen King, fuck me, baby, to see if I can find that passage. But I, it's not coming up. <laughs> bag so I shudder to find uh, I shudder to think of what might pop up though when you search yeah. that. I'm not I'm um, not putting images on Watch there, so. what words you're putting Is in Google just, search. Yeah. It's just the Losers Club episode. It just comes up. Oh god. Yeah, it's just a picture of Randall. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like a little headshot from Randall. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's talk about let's as a transition back into the best. Let's talk about mm. adaptations because there were so mm. many, and I guess I just want this to be a little bit looser uh, because there's so many to choose from, and I doubt we've seen all of these. But I guess let's just say let's talk about like our favorite, least favorite, off the cuff. I'm gonna read. All, I'm not reading. This isn't every official King adaptation from the 90s because there were a bunch of Children of the Corns. There were a bunch of sometimes they come backs and stuff like that. So I'm going to mainly just kind of read the highlights. And um, and even then, I'm reading the majority of things. I'm just not reading all of like the offshoot sequels. Um, beginning in 1990, Graveyard Shift, uh, It, the TV miniseries, Misery, Sometimes They Come Back, uh, Golden Years, which we'll talk about. Uh, the Lawnmower Man, Sleepwalkers, The Dark Half, The Tommyknockers miniseries, Needful Things, The Stand miniseries, The Shawshank Redemption, The Mangler, Dolores Claiborne, The Langoliers, Sometimes They Come Back Again, Thinner, The Night Flyer, The Shining TV miniseries, Trucks TV movie, uh, one of favorite. the worst things I've ever seen, <laughs> The X-Files Chinga episode. Mm. Uh, apps, pu- and not these are adaptations. Some of them are originals, but all the TV and movie work at pupil, uh, storm of the century, the rage carry Two, and the Ooh. green mile. Love the rage carry Two. <laughs> we had such that- a fun, our, our episode on that is so fun, Jen. I like, yeah. I remember loving that episode. I still uh, have not seen the rage carry Two. <laughs> Dude, it's, 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 it's
It's gotta see it. It's so silly. Uh, and yeah. it's Zachary Ty Bryan, as you've never seen him before. Yeah. Uh, I hope he gets his head chopped off in the movie. <laughs> well, if you ever want he gets to see his CDs shot kill people. I love Good the CD scene. Because I, I, I had to, re- back when we used to do, we talk about all the adaptations on the same episodes, the novel, God, which feels crazy now. I, I think I was tasked with talking about the rage. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, it was more fun than I thought it was going to be. I thought yeah, the CD same. scene was pretty great. Yeah, but anyway. You know what's wild is that nobody would, I don't think anybody would say that the 90s was the best for King's novels, but there's some at the time it's like peak tv king and even peak movie king yeah, in some yeah. ways there's like there's some out, turds you know? in there that's but what kept some, them alive but his best i feel like like you get all the darebound stuff in yeah. there yeah. which is yeah. all the abc Not miniseries all, it, but... all those movies yeah so what would yeah. you say like uh i mean top tier obviously the i think the the front runners are pretty far ahead but if you had to choose a favorite from these front runners what would you say like off the cuff uh jen uh, how about you it's a really, really tight race in my mind between Shawshank and The Stand. Yeah, um, I I love Shawshank. I know it's treacly, but I got, oh, it's like, so good. I, I remember seeing it in theaters and not knowing, not understanding some of it, and like, but I think The Stand. When I think about The Stand miniseries, that is what really kickstarted me loving Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what made me want to read the book. I remember showing up at school and talking about it with my kid with my not my kids, my friends, my kid <laughs> friends. Um and it just it and it holds up, especially after seeing the new adaptation of The Stand and kind of wishing that it were more like the old one from mm. 94 where the effects are pretty um, yeah. comical sometimes. Yeah, I, I would say The Stand. Jen, my answer is extremely similar to yours. I I would probably say Shawshank is 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 the one that really works for me the most and it's mm-hmm. so enduring and it's so lovely and it's and it's an improvement over the source material too it is and uh but but the stand is i have such a strong connection to because it was similar for me it was my entrance into king i was obsessed with the this miniseries format this like sprawling long story and uh it it really helped form me as a writer and also just as i don't know like a consumer of of literature like uh i i it made me want to seek out like like epic stories and that Mm -hmm. and i I give it credit for that so as much as we we poke fun at the stan miniseries occasionally uh i mean just look at how much we've devoted to it we did you know at the beginning of the pandemic we did a four-part series revisiting it after we'd already done a whole episode on it and then we uh, and then we did the whole new series earlier in 2021 so we we love the stan uh but dan how about you yeah, I, you know, on one hand, I really want to say like, you know, the Green Mile, Shawshank, uh, even Dolores Claiborne, Misery, you have some really top tier prestige king. But I'll say two other things. I'll say The Stand, which y'all mentioned, right? And I'll say the It miniseries. And I, neither of them are perfect. I think both of them falter in their climaxes for sure. But what I love about them is that they're both from an era where the people running TV were like, oh, running TV, running these networks were like, okay. <laughs> How can we be as faithful to King as possible in a constrained network setting with a lower budget? And I love that they find ways to condense things and work around them and still make it really universally appealing to both King diehards and casual TV viewers at the time. Whereas I feel like now, as we saw with the Stan 2021 series, it's almost like, okay, well, we have the world at our fingertips. We can do whatever. How do we expand upon this? How do we change? The, and I'm like, and I hate, I hate to be like the old guy. Oh, if ain't, ain't broke, don't fix it. But I think both those miniseries are really good testament to that because they work in spite of their flaws rather than the other way around, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I think in a weird way, that's kind of a more impressive feat than even the Green Mile or Shawshank, just because movies were already prestigious at that point. You know, like it was, it was. I think it was 
less of a challenge to make a movie that was really faithful to a king a, a king source material than it was to make these these long sprawling tv series actually feel like they captured the spirit of the book even though they maybe didn't stick the landing with the giant spider and the giant hand of god um and, yeah. and look mm-hmm. i rewatch both those like every few years like pandemic or no pandemic for real I, i'm i'm watching uh and, and then even just the all the funny like you know the rat man and all the, all the funny great. memes it's great i, I love those so, yeah i'm gonna so I, give I, you I think time. Used to be king great. <laughs> The Ratman has Forget fundamentally changed uh, how I speak to people. Um, I think <laughs> I, like, I, still, I, I still remember we, we, we worked at Groupon and I, as my away message, cause we all had to like communicate over Google chat or I just, one day it was like the rat, the rat man forgives you this time. That was just my away message. And I remember you chatting me like, Oh my God, it goes before, way before the losers club or anything. You're like, oh, Holy shit. And then, um, yeah, yeah. It's a way, it's a way of communication. That's it great. It's the best. Uh, Justin. I think there's three, Five Noser, Stephen King movies, and the Shawshank Redemption is one of them. So it's just oh, yeah. Shawshank Redemption for me. It's still it's it's just great, man. bowls me over every time. Mm-hmm. And there's a we did a really good episode with uh, with Rhett Miller from the yeah. old ninety sevens a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Everybody check it out if you haven't already. And he, we talked about this in, our, in the Storm of the Century episode. But uh, I think my favorite miniseries adaptation is, or just miniseries by King period is probably at this point, storm of the century. Yeah. I will always have a deep affection for it and the stand. Those were very formative, but in terms of like revisiting everything, I think there were far fewer flaws in storm of the century than there is in, than there are to be found in it or even the stand. I agree. Yeah. I, I if you haven't, Dan, Dan I've, have I've never seen, seen it. Jim? Never seen Rose red, never seen storm of the century. Well, they're it's all on YouTube, folks. The, the gulf of quality is is big between the two of them, but yeah. Storm is better. <laughs> yeah, Storm, I, I, is, I, Storm oh, yeah. is quite good. It's free on mm-hmm. it's free on YouTube, and yeah. Uh, yeah, our episode. I think we were all pretty surprised by how how good it was, and um, yeah, it's like my I I just can't separate my nostalgia for the stand. Um, That's but, the thing, right? Yeah. We talked about that too. The nostalgia, like, and I've seen it's incredible that he made was essentially what five or six hours. Mm-hmm. Of the stand, and I would watch that miniseries all the time yeah. in the mid '90s. Mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. I had bought the tape, the double tape, you double know? tape, yeah. And loved a good double. I wore tape. it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen that I movie too. more than a lot of ninety minutes Stephen King adaptations. The miniseries, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. I still love the stand. If I have to go with just the overall nostalgia, though, rewatchability, and, yeah. the stand over Storm of the Century, which is very, very dark, very depressing. <laughs> very depressing. Uh, okay, uh, bottom tier uh, here. I'll kick us off with. Oh God. I will say our episode on it is an absolute riot, Jen. Um, it was me, you, and Mike talking about Sleepwalkers, and oh. Mike, Mike, and I were a little drunk too. So that episode is off the fucking rails. But that, that is, is also mine. So I don't have to say anything else about that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't have to say anything. Sleepwalkers is really bad. Like it's it's yeah. it's fun in a campy way, especially I think if you grew up with it, you probably have a lot of nostalgia for it. But uh, it is it is tremendously bad. Like uh, and. And, and like completely incoherent. <laughs> right. It's, oh <laughs> like my it God. makes no sense. Right. Somebody gets stabbed with corn, I think. Yeah. Like it's, that's how they it's an homage. It's an homage. <laughs> ah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, like when I think of like the worst adaptations or not even adaptations because that was original. Um, I mean, it's, that's up there. And then Golden Years, obviously, Jen, you also <laughs> went through that journey with Mike and I. Yep. And Golden Years is, is I like, the fact that we did it, that we made it through it all, I think says something uh, like I can't fully hate it because I did the whole journey and I feel like I went through something. But man, that mm-hmm. is it's so, so bad. Like golden years. Like it's it's I'll unbelievable. It now, I cannot imagine that there are any or will ever be any other podcasts 
<laughs> of any any king or otherwise that will ever cover the golden years in the same dedication. Yeah, two yeah. episodes. Not, not to get confused with dedication from, of course. <laughs> right. uh, Maybe I mean it was wasn't it David Bowie's birthday yesterday. Maybe someone will <laughs> cover it. Golden years <laughs> Bowie podcast. You spent more time on that miniseries that people have actually even discussed David Bowie's golden years though. That's probably I, the end of the day. I will say. Uh, so I'm a defender of Sleepwalkers, and I think it's because I grew up with it. I loved the movie as a kid. I still have a lot of fun watching it. So I would also say Golden Years because it's so hard to get through. I, I don't think I've gotten through all of it. Um, and maybe, I don't know, has, did anyone on the podcast, had, had anyone watched it as a kid? Because no. I feel like I feel like that's just like the only the only way for me really to love Sleepwalkers is probably having seen it when I was younger. I remember I th- watching, I, I think something must have been coming on right after it. Because yeah. I vividly remember either the first or second episode where – He's dancing with his wife, and then she says, I'm too old. Yeah. I remember that vividly. It's probably yeah. going right into, like, you know, Picket Fences or some shit I was watching. Yeah, it was probably, like, like, a trailer. It was probably a trailer clip, and they played it, like, 8,000 times or something. Oh, that's yeah. false but impossible. I, just, I, I remember that vividly. I, don't I, don't know, know, I, I I'm, like, a defender of Sleepwalkers. I love the Enya song in the beginning. I love the Mark Hamill cameo. I, I, I remember being genuinely disturbed by the incest in it and, like, the corkscrew and all that feeling violent. I, and I, Hey, watch it a couple years ago. I still loved it. So I'm uh, <laughs> so fuck you guys. I think that for me That's is great. that and mercy are my two least favorite Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. I've never seen mercy. Oh, Man, God. I haven't seen mercy, mercy either. Terrible. I was have mercy. So am I right? Mad. Have mercy. Totally. Um, no, it's, it's, I, I remember being, uh, the incest I remember being pretty shocked by too. I also just think it's funny that when we got the silver bolo on Joe Bob, that they brought up specifically that we did not like Sleepwalkers. Because <laughs> Darcy right. likes it, right? I think I think, Darcy I think so. Yeah, movie. yeah. man. If I'd been on that episode, I would have. Uh, I would have been, been a, a defender. Open to the hero of Joe Bob. <laughs> she did um, say, except for Dan Caffrey, and she winked at the camera. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah that was no, true. I wasn't on that episode. Unfortunately, I wish I was. Okay, cool. Now let's talk about let's let's hit the bests. Um, best novella. I went with Low Men in Yellow Coats from Hearts mm-hmm. in Atlantis, which to me is Same. is really beautiful and really um, I don't know devastating in a lot of ways. Uh, do you agree with me, Justin? Hundred percent. And you know what? I'm I'm currently reading Billy Summers for the first time, and I'm realizing that Stephen King is at his greatest when he is writing about the era in which he grew up. Mm-hmm. Because Stephen King is also arguably the most famous novelist of the last hundred years, besides maybe uh, J.K. Rowling, I guess. Whole other, st- whole other topic. <laughs> um, but I think that when you reach a certain level of fame, you can be the, you still be the greatest person alive, but I think it's very hard to tap into the everyday. And so I think when he's trying to write about neighborhoods and families and, and even just day-to-day relationships in the 2020s or the 2010s, it does not have the same impact as when he's writing about relationships and families and neighborhoods in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I think Hearts in Atlantis overall, overall, is a really strong collection because of that. Because so much of it is writing about what he's experienced, writing about what he knows. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, Loman is so lovely. And I was so happy to see a certain character, a couple characters. Well, no, yeah, one character from this particular collection come back. In a, in a future Stephen King mm-hmm. story, uh, very much, uh, yeah. Especially this particular novella kicks it off. Really, some real some of his most beautiful stuff, honestly. I think. Yeah, yeah. Jen, um, I almost chose Loman and Yellow Coats. That was a really, really close second. I ended up going with Hearts in Atlantis mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. 
um, I was listening to it as we were reading King's Garbage Truck and Hearts in Suspension and this as this really beautiful essay that he wrote about his college time. And so I just kind of saw him as the protagonist in that story. I yeah. think it's I don't know if it is his best writing because I think probably Low Men is better writing, I think. But I was really involved engrossed in the story. I really liked seeing Carol. Um, as kind of a young 20-something and her kind of at this crossroads in what her life is going to be. And so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. But Loman in Yellow Coats was yeah, just just barely, barely lost out because of Hearts and Suspension. So if you yeah. have not read that, I would highly recommend it. You know, yeah. I, have not, I still haven't read Hearts and Suspension yet. I can send you the, I can send you the essay. It's really good. Um, I would say Carol had that really stupid last name. What was it? Gerber. <laughs> Gerber. Oh, yeah, it was Gerber. Gerber baby. <laughs> King's Dominion. Uh, no relation, I assume. Club no, on, on our episodes, Anna's like, you can't say it's King's Dominion because somebody shares a name with people on the podcast. <laughs> and I was like, I pod, make the pod rules Dominion. here. <laughs> um, Dan, how about you? Yeah, it's Low Man Yellow Coats. I, I was really torn between that and Hearts in Atlantis. Um, mm. But I honestly, I think I had to go with it because, just because of the iconography. I mean, I, I like the movie a lot. Um, I think it has one of King's best tower connections before we got oversaturated with that. I do think at a uh -huh. certain point, it gets a little annoying how all these books come back to the Dark Tower. Um, it loses the novel quality of that. But I remember that feeling like such a cool, oh, wait, is that what this is it, or not? I'm not sure. You know, and I, and it, and it would, I love that it doesn't go much beyond that. Um, it, it, later books confirm it, obviously. Um, yeah, and that book almost is, it's almost overwhelmingly sentimental. And I don't mean that as a, as a, flaw i mean it, it and i think it's what justin said i mean it has such yearning for that time period while also recognizing its flaws um mm -hmm. yeah i just I, that, that hits me in the feels the whole book does i mean I, I really like all of it but that one's always going to be the standout for me cool short stories best short story this is a big one uh perhaps not the best pool to pick out of but what are the <laughs> gems floating in this pool uh jen kick us off um, this one actually is one of my top five, I think, Stephen King short stories from this air from the first half of collections. And I picked Crouch End. Um, love, love this story. I'm not a big um, Lovecraft fan. It's it gets a little too cosmic for me sometimes. But you I like love his politics, it. though, right? I, I do. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes, yes. I separate the artist. It's the work you've got an issue with. It's the work. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, but I love seeing that idea filtered through the lens of Stephen King in this really grounded way. I think there are moments in there that are just terrifying and haunting and. I, and Tim Curry reads the uh, the story that oh. I've listened to a bunch of times. So it's just, yeah, crouch in. Cool. I remember, Dan. I oh. feel like people didn't really like, uh, a couple of people didn't like that short story in the episode. I, I, think, it, I, I think it was divided. I, I, to be honest, wasn't a huge fan of it. I don't think because of the the vagueness, not the vagueness, but the um, the sort of like inability to describe the Lovecraft thing. But I think, I think Mel liked it. Maybe I'm, I'm, I know Mel. I know Mel was a big defender of Head Down. She loved the, head she down, loved the yeah. collection overall. I remember. Yeah. Her. Oh, yeah. No, I remember no, we got I, into um, it over, over Head no, Down. No, but I'm saying I, I agree, yeah. Jen. I like that story a lot. That's that was way up there for me too. Yeah. Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Yeah, I like that story. But it's some of the British dialogue's pretty funny. But hey, overall, <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was like we were like split down the middle on that one. Um, my favorite story mm -hmm. there, and I, I once again, yeah, not a huge Nightmares and Dreamscapes fan overall, but I would I would rank this among his best short, short stories, period, uh, was The Night Flyer. And maybe we throw in Popsy mm. as a bonus because it, it's connected. I I just mm. love the sleaziness of it. I think they it's I love how it's Randall, you mentioned before about not needing things to be subtle. This is a pure example of that for me. I, the metaphor is so obvious, but so brilliant. And the vampire, it is a unique spin on the vampire 
tale of like, oh, a vampire who uses a, 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 a puddle jumper plane to get from city to city to kill people at airports. I love that. I think the pissing scene is brilliant. I actually think I the adaptation is pretty underrated. It's not his best, but like, it's a really just fun, gross, nasty ass story that has a really good spooky, ooky scene in the airport. Um, and, and, and I Miguel love Ferrer. And, it's so yeah, I love Miguel Ferrer, and like, and it, and it's so honest about what it is. I think our biggest problem with so many of the nightmares and dreamscape stories is that they were so many of them are trying to be deeper than they are, and just they don't know what they are. Um, like Dolan's Cadillac to me it was such a lame story because I think it thinks it's this big hard boiled criminal epic when it's just not. So I I love the Night Flyer, man. Give me more of it. Give me that gross ass <laughs> nasty king. But not, well, not it dedication. reads not like dedication. a tabloid story, which is perfect because exactly. it's a tabloid reporter totally. following the story. It it it, yeah, it knows exactly what 100%. it is. I, I like that one. Justin, how about you? Uh, you mentioned it, Dan. You want to talk about like just a really solid, when you think about a short story, and it just basically takes place, it's a disturbing premise, obviously, uh, a guy and a kid in, in a truck or a van, whatever <laughs> it is, and then this creature, might, or a good, may, maybe a sequel to The Night Flyer for Popsy? Poopsy. Poopsy. <laughs> Excuse me. No, it, this story is anything but Poopsy. It's a real lean and mean short story, and there, there's so many... Uh, short stories in that collection that drag on you know good god this is just really mm-hmm. short and nasty as well and yeah this is the one i think that really stands out yeah. I, yeah i think overall it's if not as worst short story collection it's, it's way down there but there are a couple good ones in there but uh this is mm-hmm. definitely one of them popsy is a really nice mean one yeah i didn't it's revisit nice um, and oh, mean go ahead jen <laughs> well i was gonna say like i i think the the element the monster element doesn't come in till right around the end yes. either right so, so you like, see, like the a big structure wing? of it like a huge wing i think across, so yeah. yeah and like we just recently watched for psychoanalysis we just watched predator and just the idea that this is a monster movie but you don't know it until like the very end i think structurally mm. if you can make that interesting and still an engaging story and scary and then it introduces this whole other like iconic element i just think is really really well done yeah Yeah. i think king often goes for the twilight zone but this is an example of him trying to do like a tales from the dark side story yeah and it really Really works yeah yeah it's funny um i i uh i didn't reread nightmares and dreamscapes but i was gonna say popsy because that's the story that i remember the most Hmm. from when i read it and i remember it creeping me out when i was a kid and it was the one that i kind of always associated with nightmares and dreamscapes but i just want to throw in uh an honorable mention to which and i i say this sort of it it comes from a more emotional place than a a critical or an analytical one but why we're in vietnam in hearts Mm. in atlantis Mm. is not really a short story like it it is but it doesn't it's not story focused. It, it is like Blind Willie focused more on message and idea than story. But I will say that the the final sequence in which um, Sully John is is on the highway and thin and oh. basically things start raining down from the sky like cell phones and pianos and refrigerators and on this like on this traffic jam. It's such a beautifully written evocative sequence that is, again, unsubtle. But I, I like that about it. And yeah. it um. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreakingly sad. And it and it made me feel more than perhaps any other King that I read this year was Hearts in Atlantis, because it really made me think about aging and, and about war and about um like what what is it all for? I mean, it's a very existential book and it's asking those big questions about like when we protest, when we take a stand, like what is it all for in the end? Does it amount to anything? And mm-hmm. he's writing that from, you know, 30 years of of uh, of 
you know, having seen the activism that he engaged in not work out uh, to a great degree and that America just kind of sliding further into this, you know, capitalist imperialist sort of, um, uh, you know, morass. And I think that it's it's a it's a book where he gets to go a little bit deeper and into social issues than he does otherwise. And he really I, I think he really knocks it out of the park um, in terms of it being both a reflection and, and an, a self-analysis. Uh, about that. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's the personal engagement you mentioned. And that's why it's so strong, because yeah. this, isn't, this isn't taking an outsider's perspective. And I'm not talking about the novel, The Outsider. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. This is something that if, lived in it feels lived in yeah yeah so anyways that's i think that's my answer there uh but again i it's hard for me to even call why we're in vietnam a short story because it doesn't feel like a lot of other king ones but i think maybe for that reason i it resonated with me so let's talk best novel uh this is gonna be a big one because my my honorable mention is is desperation a book that uh for me i think it's because i have um i'm always interested in spiritual issues and uh, issues of God. And I think that this book is so vulnerable and um, and searching when it comes to those issues. And as we talk about in the episode, it has less to do with any kind of uh, religious faith so much as it, it's really filtered through the lens of AA. And it's really about recovery and about finding what that higher power is for you. It just filtered kind of through this Christian David character who is a rough character. And I agree with that. But Johnny's journey, even though he has some cringe in it, like Johnny's journey is ultimately very affecting for me. Um, and especially when you look at it, like for, I think, um, Jen, you would probably agree with this. Like it was sort of contextualizing King's life and where he was in his recovery and everything. Uh, alongside reading the book, I think helped us yeah. appreciate it a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I can see how it's a really alienating novel for other people. But I also think it's really scary. And a lot of the horror in it is is visceral and brutal in ways that, um, I don't know, I, I, I in ways that I think a lot of his other 90s work isn't. And I really appreciate that about it. So, But my favorite book is Wizard and Glass. Because Wizard and Glass is, I think, one of the only five nosers I've given. And I don't know, I loved it when I was young. And I have a strong nostalgic connection to it. But it really held up for me on the reread. I think it's I think it's such a whimsical uh, story while also being extremely punishing and unforgiving and great characters. Like I'm a huge fan of young Roland and, and his quartet and then all the villains, the coffin hunters, uh, Thorin, um, uh, Rhea the Coos, like all of these are just such great, well thought out um, and, and terrifying villains. And I'm just a huge fan of them. So uh, Dan, how about you? What is your favorite book? Yeah, I mean, I, I do love Wizard and Glass. Uh, my honorable mention would probably be Dolores Claiborne. Uh, my number one's The Green Mile. Um, nice. And, you know, we dive into it on the episode, obviously. I don't think King completely succeeds in all of his examinations of race and and a lot of the other themes that he's going into in that book. However, I do think his efforts to to really examine you know, these topics are, are really earnest. And I feel like he's not afraid to go to complicated places in that novel, even though if maybe like, I don't, I don't love, always love Paul Edgecombe's view on everything. Um, especially as we get to the end of it. I mean, we talked a little bit about that sex scene where he's calling John Coffey's name. Um, but at the, same, Munich. at the same time, I think of the Kings what do you say? I mean, oh, reminds God. You of Munich. Uh, least favorite part of Munich. Um, but at the same time, I think King's heart is really in the right place. And not only that, he's recognizing his own flaws and writing about race and the complications that come with that as a white person, as, as I think all of us have had to do. And beyond that, aside from um, 
just King's willingness to go there. I just think the prose is gorgeous in that in that novel, and I think the serialization of it is just it just shows such expert plotting. I think by giving himself that restriction, he really like did not waste a word. I, it, it, he just he feels so laser focused in that. I love every last character. I love being in that era. It's got a great adaptation. So yeah, for me, it's it's definitely the Green Mile. It, it hits me emotionally in a way that um, no other King book from this era or maybe any other era does. So yeah, that's a five yeah. noser for me. Love it. Justin. You know, look at this list and yeah, we, we were knocking a lot of some of these entries, obviously, but you know, I'm looking at this list and you've got, we'd mentioned Harson Lance, the strength of that. Green Mile Dan is up there for me too. Girl Love Tom Gordon. Dolores, Gerald's, but for me, and then I, I do love the Wastelands, but for me, Randall, I do have to agree. I think it's Wizard and Glass. Yeah. And if if you know me, and I and I pray to God you do at this time, at this point, <laughs> you know I hate prequel storytelling. I hate it. I don't care about it. What's the point of it? We know where this is going to end up. What an exception to the rule, because I am so engrossed with young Ro- the adventures of young Roland. <laughs> and like you said, though, even... <laughs> These minor villains in the long in the long run for the for the whole Dark Tower saga are so engrossing. Jonas and like you said, the Coffin Hunters, Rhea, the Coos. I'm just in, I'm just entrenched in it the entire time, and it's a great reread. Yeah. and yeah, for me that is my favorite from the '90s is uh, Wizard and Glass. Do you think yeah, if they that? if they oh, adapted God. it, they'd like what, what network is Young Sheldon on? CBS. Oh God. What if CBS has hey, CBS? CBS? What, yeah, yeah. What, what if they're like, all right, we're gonna do it, Stephen. We're we're do we the adaptation. We'll start with Wizard and Glass, and we'll go through all the other Dark Tower books. But you have to call it Young Rollins because Young of the Roland. Sheldon tie-in. Yeah. It's just like it's him with like an oversized cowboy hat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like like kind of over his ears. Yeah, like that's the the promo image is like uh, his little hands coming out, like the hat covers the entire top of his body, and he's holding his little his his like guns, like they're oh, poking God. out from under the under Don't, the hat. We're, we're actually speaking this into existence. I know. I'm picturing the hat from The Simpsons with the Cameron. Yes. Like, some some executives. Retirement. Some executives listening. He's like, that's it. That's the that's the solution. That's the way in. Like this. That's the way into the Dark Tower. Uh, Jen, how about you? Uh, favorite novel? Um, oh, this was this was a harder decision than I thought it was going to be because I do like. While I think a lot of the books through the stretch have some significant flaws in them, there is so much that I love. Um, love Needful Things. I love um, the Green Mile. But then I also have said that this Eclipse stretch, which mm. I'm now including Trisha in. Um, is my favorite stretch of King, I think, because, you know, kind of like with Green Mile, I love that he is not afraid to explore these things Mm -hmm. because I think that we need to start expanding our lenses. And I love that he, he one, takes complicated stories on and also doesn't die on his hill of like, no, the Green Mile is the right way to look at it. You know, like I feel like he's pretty reflective of when he does kind of falter a little bit. Um, But, yeah, it's these stretches – um, it's Gerald's game, Dolores, Insomnia, Rose Matter, and the girl who loved Tom Gordon. I just, I love that series. And my favorite of all of them is Gerald's game. I love that book. I gave it five noses. Um, it was my first book episode too. So it kind of holds a special place in my heart for that reason. And analyzing it, like bumped it up into my top five of all of King books. Um, Wow. I think it, it's it's, yeah. it's just like the confidence to tell the sto- this story 
so internally, but so well done, I think is just really impressive. I think it executes on horror, terror, and um, grossness too. So it hits all of the different levels of fear because it is really, it's a really touching book. It's also really um, scary. Mm -hmm. And it has a really important place in my own personal journey, which you can hear me talk about in the episode. But it just, it's for a complicated book. It is so well done. It's not, it doesn't overstay its welcome either. I think he, you know, says what he wants to say with it. I, per, I love the ending of it. It's a personal preference for me. Um, it feels like, like therapy closure for me at the end of this book. Um, but yeah, so it's Gerald's game for me. Very cool. Love it. Yeah. Needful Things definitely was up there for me too. Uh, but more, of, I think in a, I don't know. It's like a diner food. You like for the me. gnome a lot, to be fair. Love the gnome, but it's <laughs> yeah. just I, gnome. I, I see gnome I or the... dwarf. I can't, I can't remember. I don't know. I think it's a dwarf. Which one flies? Is he a leprechaun? Janusz. <laughs> Janusz from Ghostbusters too. <laughs> yeah. But yes. no, I, I just love. Everything the, you were doing is bad. I just love like the clockwork plotting of um of needful things. I think it's such totally. a riot, and I think the last third of that book is some of the most fun I've ever had reading King. It's and I love Ace Merrill so much. He's yeah, he's such I a love great, Ace. great it's, villain. It's, a, it's like an all star game if I can yeah. use it in alliteration. Like, it it's is great to see all these Cujo kind of comes back in a way. You know, it's, it's a great <laughs> does, way of yeah. wrapping things up. You know, yeah, I love it. Okay, you know cool. we, we mentioned everything. We mentioned in some form. Not every, insomnia. Yeah, no, Dan, oh, no, again, my, for, my, my, my oh, sentiment, right. sweet sentimental oh, old people oh, kept pounding. Right. Yeah. Wrinkled sheets. Yeah, we touched um, upon everything, much like they touched upon each other in Insomnia. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of sad I didn't have a, because I, I have a <laughs> weird, you. I have a little fondness for You love insomnia, insomnia, don't you? I feel like you're the. I'm an insomnia defender. It's I, not my favorite, but it's definitely a book that I I just like. I think it's better than its reputation suggests. And it's way too long, yeah. but it's, uh, it's, it's an excellent, uh, in, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a riotous time. It's a good time. Like I have so yeah. much fun with that book, even though it's about such like dark things. But I don't know. And I th I like Ralph. Like I usually don't like the way King writes old people, but I think that's probably his best old person. I like him a lot yeah. better than Hodges. That's for sure. Um, Ralph shows up again in, in um Bag of Bones, right? Yeah, yeah. Ralph's okay, in Bag of Bones. I remember that too. I was happy to see him uh, when he came back. Ralph said, is Make a bag the of book bones. about him. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, okay, now let's wrap things up by with the people's kingies. This is oh, uh, this based is on yeah. This is based on voting from our uh, our Patreon subscribers. If if you want to be a Patreon subscriber, you can vote in the next kingies. Uh, join us over at Patreon.com/slash The Barons. We have hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Uh, of of bonus content and very fun episodes, commentaries, all kinds of good stuff. So check that out, and then you can vote in the next Kingies, and you can say that Cell is the best novel of the aughts. Um, so yeah, let's just skip day. the categories. I mean, it, <laughs> right. it is no question about it. Uh, so yeah, let's start at the bottom here. Best protagonist. Uh, it's actually a tie. Uh, ba on, based on all the votes. And this was changed because we actually got some last minute votes in last night and it mm -hmm. did change a few of the categories. So best protagonist is a tie between Dolores Claiborne and someone we have not mentioned, Alan Pangborn from hey, I, He's oh, up yeah. there. I yeah. love the character of Alan Pangborn. So that he is, would, yeah. he's in my top three of that of the decade. Good, good choice. Yeah, I am very choices. glad that the listeners mentioned that because he would probably be like, yeah, in my top three too, but. Yeah, uh, best villain. They said Leland Gaunt, and it's just by a stretch. So I, think I get Leland it. Leland Gaunt I'm... dominated. What about the uh, dwarf the though? What? What? Where do they rank? <laughs> get her at, get rank is it separately. the same person? Is it yeah. not the same person? We haven't gotten a worse villain yet. No, I'm just kidding. It would be uh, funny though. 
Uh, yeah. So they said Leland and Gaunt by a stretch. Best Bachman book, obviously the regulators. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Tastiest pound cake. Uh, they're on my side. Everything in Bag of Bones, especially Noonan's <laughs> inner monologues. Uh, fuck me. Uh, I'm probably getting the quote wrong. I got, I'm I, just I, like, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I was like kind of not dreading rereading it, but I'm like, ah, I'm like, I'm like, it's like the one book. Maybe I'll just skip it. But now I'm like, you're, you're making me want to go back and get it off the <laughs> shelf. Just for that one quote. Yeah. Just yeah. to find um, it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that section is 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 a tour de force of of both goodness and um uh poundy poundy poundiness. Uh, scariest moment they said the degloving uh, sure, from Gerald's sure. game, which yeah. I absolutely concur with. Absolutely yep. terrifying and uh made me. I remember reading it as a kid and it, I was sick to my stomach. Like, uh-huh. Um, I went and sat in the toilet for a while. Um, Inside the toilet? <laughs> yes, I climbed in. You I took cr- the seat up and you went. <laughs> this is a rather tight place. Uh, yes. Uh, best novella, people said Low Men in Yellow Coats. Can't argue hey. with them there. Uh, a tie for best short story. We have a four-way tie. Ooh. We have I'm looking at this list. Crouch End, Ooh. Popsy, mm. Chattery Teeth, and the Ten O'Clock People. How do you guys ah, feel about those? Yeah, I, I th- you know, Chattery Teeth is a is a weird story. I mean, a, as a positive, I, I like Chattery Teeth. Yeah. Wild little weird nasty story. T- too. Ten o'clock people is, I think, yeah. divisive. Also, I, I was yeah. not as huge a fan of it. I think Mallory oh, liked it. Maybe Matt I liked love it. Ten o'clock people. Were you on Good that opening. episode, Jen? I can't remember. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was not. No. Oh uh, yeah, I was on Mel's side with that one. Just like feels like an action movie, you know. Yeah, a lot of people were. It got compared. It gets compared to They Live a lot, um, which I'm about to rewatch. Yeah. So see. Oh, nice. Oh. Love They Live. Um, okay, best novel, Wizard and Glass. I think we got a lot nice. of tower heads in the in the Barrens, so might have yeah. been right. a foregone conclusion. Wizard but... and Glass is great. It'd be, whether you like the tower or not, I feel like that's definitely like a, one of the strongest one, entries in that series. Yeah, yeah. and so let's talk about uh, uh, worst. Worst protagonist. Oh, I'm, I'm proud of our listeners here. This is some good. Oh, it's good uh, stuff. Uh-huh. Good yeah, coming up. Uh, worst protagonist. They're on my side. Mike Noonan. Uh, they. I think anyone who reads, um, who has reread Brag of Bones recently, it would be hard to disagree with me. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike Noonan is a rough read. Uh, worst villain. They agree with you, Justin. Norman Daniels. Uh, I think people were were not putting up with his shit. Um, <laughs> worst. Was, Bachman, it your, was it yours too, Jen? Was yeah, it your worst? That was mine too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm pleased. Everybody thought that. That's yeah. Good. yeah. Uh, worst worst Bachman book. The Regulators. Worst novella, Secret <laughs> Secret Window, which uh, hey, which yeah. again tough. That was a tough competition yeah. this year. <laughs> tough losers. <laughs> I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of debate. Um, Whoever wins, we lose. You know? <laughs> worst short story, dedication, shocker, sure. yeah. and uh, worst novel, The Regulators. Hey, like I said, if we could have if we could have opened it up to Bachman books, I would have yeah. had The Regulators as my least favorite. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think we we placed that restriction on on them. So yeah, Regulators kind of came out as the worst. Although Regulators does have some defenders in our Discord, I've I've definitely seen that. Um, so yeah, I'm going to read a couple comments that people sent in. Uh, constant listener Dave Musson says, uh, "Gonna go out on a limb and say that aside from Four Past Midnight, I think '90s King is excellent. I would agree with that. Um, in fact, probably his most interesting decade." Not necessarily his best, but he covered such a range of styles and pretty much landed every one. I reckon 90s King could even be my favorite decade of his. Um, And Alex Harper agrees. They say 90s King is def my favorite. The 70s, 80s had a lot of absolute classics, but I think some of his best character work is in the 90s. I also really love the diversity and storytelling styles that he had uh, this decade. I like Um, the use of 
and I agree. I think it is a very interesting decade. There is a lot going yeah. on here. Whether it's some mm-hmm. of it works, some of it doesn't. But I, I would agree. You never know what you're going to get book to book. Yeah, it feels like he's really stretching himself yeah. in this decade and kind of growing into the writer he's going to become. Yeah. Um, and then uh, constant listener Emily Winter, who if you're in the Discord is a is the resident Billy Summers hater. Um, <laughs> she says Billy Summers is 44 years old, which means he was born in 1975, which means he was alive in the 90s, which means one could say he is a king character of the 90s <laughs> since he existed in that decade, which means one could write him in for all the worst of the 90s categories. Uh. Not that anybody would do that. So all right. can I say something? Because I was yes. on the Billy Summers episode. I've got four chapters left. Oh, shit. Is something going to happen in the last four chapters that's going to just like really blow my mind or something? I, I don't understand some of the love that this actually book's maybe I just don't. Yeah. Actually, maybe okay. uh, we'll okay. see. The ending the ending is strong. So well, look, it's no uh, yeah. regulators, right? I'm not saying this is like <laughs> bottom tier king, but I, I'm just I'm not. I don't hey, know. You're, you're it not seems alone. like there's a lot of stuff they're trying to do here. I, I, I don't know. I would say it's not so much what happens, but the way it happens okay. that okay. I really enjoyed. I still right. haven't read it. I haven't read that or later or the Institute. So got to catch up. Get on it. I think he just struggles to do cool. You know, <laughs> I, that's my thing, too. I think <laughs> Billy Summers should be a cool character. And it just... Considering like, I imagined uh, him as Ed Asner when I was reading it, even though well, he was 44. Like, <laughs> you mentioned earlier, Randall, but I, I too, I was like, I always pick, unless the age is mentioned... Yes. I will always imagine these people are Paul Giamatti. Yes. Every one of his characters. I'm like, like for like Lisey's story, I'm like, oh, it's Paul Giamatti. Oh, no, it's <laughs> actually Clive Owen. You know, like, whoops. I know. Like that's I just remember feeling like unmoored when I maybe it was on the episode where somebody talked about Jake Gyllenhaal playing Billy Summers. And and the, he's the right age for it based on how the writing is. And obviously, I love Jake Gyllenhaal and would love to see him in it. But it's just like I think because I I hear all King dialogue through that sort of. Um, I don't know, through King. And it just, it feels like old man dialogue to me so much that I just can't, when he's writing these detective kind of characters, I'm always, like even yeah. in The Outsider, no like I was thinking about Ed Asner, like for the main guy. Like, <laughs> I should always- say also, I, I don't think that Lisi herself would be played by Paul Giamatti. I meant Scott, her husband, Scott. would be played. I, mean, it's, it's, too. I, I think I said this when we, whenever we talk about Hodges, anytime he does, and, and I'm just not... It, King's obsession with hard-boiled noir. I'm just like, I don't, yeah, I don't uh, get it. Yeah, I don't think it's a strong Don Re- He loves Don Winslow, and I agree. You should, you but read Don Winslow if you want to get I, like hard-boiled, pulpy I just like, stuff. I just the always picture the Simpsons episode Carl where Winslow. Grandpa Simpson's trying to court Marge's mom, and he's doing the Jimmy Durante thing where he's putting on the hat like yeah. this. He's like walking <laughs> with his trench coat. That's just that's what I picture every time. Like this guy trying yeah. to cool. Uh-huh. Oh, I know. And I think that's why I just like, even though he was trying to be cool, I never quite bought him as cool. And that's hard when I imagine him as like, you know, an 80 year old man, <laughs> um, which, which also complicates, I think, the central. I'm imagining. Yeah. Now I'm imagining Ed Asner in like Afghanistan running around with the young, <laughs> all these young troops. He's still the same age, though. Uh, so, OK, that was the Kingies. That was the the 90s Kingies. That was a blast. I loved it. We had some great picks. I think we did some good reflection. Um, obviously, we elaborate on all these thoughts in our book episode. So if you haven't listened to any, please go back and listen to them. And please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, because uh, people are still mad at Mel for the Nightmares and Dreamscapes episode. So we oh, need God. somebody to offset that. Um, so, yeah, uh, this has been a blast, everyone. Thanks for, so much for being here and and let's uh 
like to 2022 and why two King. We're going to have a blast this year. Lots of good books. You can listen to our preview episode for a preview of what it is that's on the way. But uh, do know that on writing is our next book that we're going to be discussing, which will be a blast. Um, so yeah, let's sign off with a long days and pleasant nights. This is the end of our show, for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.